Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Former teammate and dear friend of John's, Jason Dunn, joins us this week to catch up. The guys trade stories about their NFL experiences, the good, the bad, and the ridiculous, as well as make predictions about Super Bowl Sunday. The conversation dives into JD's role as a coach and mentor to the young players who are currently navigating the recent racial justice movement. His advice is simple, communicate. He begs people to stop talking past each other and start listening to each other. Here it is, episode 452. Hey, Power Athlete Nation. Welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio, the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Oh, yeah. And we are, we're talking football today. It's right now, it is Super Bowl Friday. We got a very exciting Super Bowl. Yeah, Not no, one of those I, boring ones. No, this is going to be, I, I'm praying it's going to be as good. I mean, we have two of the best to ever do the game with, uh, you know, Tom Brady, considered the greatest to ever play the game in terms of quarterback, and Patrick Mahomes, who you know, has an opportunity to make a case to be that person in 20 years. Yep. And this fun facts, this is Brady has six Super Bowl wings wins. I think this is his 10th Super Bowl. That is correct. That's my next fact. He's six and three. Wow. In the Super Bowl. So this is his 10th. Isn't that crazy? In 20 years, the guys played in half of the Super Bowls. It is pretty nuts. Uh, Like that's, that's, yeah, I mean, that, that blows my mind. I'm, I, you know, and I'll, you know, obviously playing for the Patriots and knowing Tom personally, um, I, you know, I definitely root for him. But also being a former Kansas City Chief, also getting drafted by Andy Reid's first year and like knowing all their coaching staff and, um, you know, just loving the city of Kansas City. I'm excited to see for this one. I, I'm going to tip my hat. And this is, I'm so conflicted. I want to see Kansas City do it. I want to see another uh, diamond in this dynasty. But I really want to see Tom Brady win. Okay, so just to throw some numbers at at this moment of the recording, I imagine this is going to change, but it's Kansas City by three. Over under is 56.5 points. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of points. Uh, and Kansas City has only covered two of the last 10 games, and the Bucks are 4-0 against the spread as underdogs. Mm, okay. Well, as uh, anybody knows, I mean, what's kind of cool, Tampa Bay's playing Tampa in, Bay, in, in Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. So really the Super Bowl's a home game. Uh, you know, but I do know Kansas City fans will travel, and there's Kansas City fans everywhere. I mean, there's even a bar here in Austin that's got a Kansas City bar up. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Boy Zillner, he's, yeah. uh, he's all over it. Um, yeah, so it's going to be great. But uh, the better part of this conversation is who we have on the podcast today. Yes. One of my former teammates, one of my favorite humans on this planet, and somebody I consider one of my dearest friends, Jason Dunn, who was a tight end for not only in Philly when I played with him, but also the Kansas City Chiefs, 12-year NFL vet, and arguably the best blocking tight end in the NFL. Uh, you know, played opposite Tony Gonzalez, you know, Tony, the best ever play, uh, you know, and was uh, just an amazing uh, player, just big, strong dude. I, I, we we get into some stories about you know coming off the ball with JD, and we knew we were just going to murder people. And you know, obviously, part of the best line in pro football. So it's always neat to when those conversations come up, and they always do around this time of year to have played uh, you know on that offensive line with Willie Rofe and Will Shields and those guys, and and uh, you know Tony and you know Jason Dunn was definitely a big piece of that. So pretty amazing, and um, just a. Uh, not only a, a, a great friend, but just a really genuine, amazing human being. And 
Uh, I'm stoked to get him on the podcast for our Super Bowl episode of uh, 4.52 here on Power Arcade Radio. And we get into some old playing stories. We get into life because he faced an injury between his Eagles and his Chiefs career and how monumental that setback became for him as an individual. And he's current... is coaching football now, so a lot to a ground to cover, and uh, very fun, very fun episode. Well, I'm glad he, you he was rocking some Chiefs gear, so I know who he's going for, and he's now the host of a podcast called Chief Concerns. So I think his bias is playing yeah. in. Well, I mean, you know, as a former Chief, I mean, he played there for years, and uh, all of his connections with former Chiefs players, and he mentioned like Pat Barber and Pat Sutan and a bunch of cats we played with. So, um, yeah, I uh, I can't speak more about the episode and just the quality of Jason Dunn as a human being and the conversation we have. So if you're a football fan and, you know, you want to hear a little bit of uh, inside behind it and how players view it and more importantly, life after football and life after doing this job and really just uh, a very genuine human being and one of my favorite people on this earth. It's funny. I hadn't seen him in years uh, in person. And then I saw him at Tony's hall of fame and like, dude, it was great. I saw him from a uh, you know, like across like a bunch of aisles and he like saw me and I started, I kind of teared up because I, you know, here was me like, you know, getting a chance to see my old friend. And when I came up on him, he was like tearing up too. And, um, man, I'm just, I'm uh, forever blessed. And you guys have heard me use that term, not in a religious sense, but just feel very lucky to have people like him come through my life and still stay in it. And, uh, we get a chance to chop it up for two plus hours here on power athlete radio. So strap in, you know, get yourself a drink and uh, let's go. Yeah. Spend your Saturday listening to this because Sunday's a good match. And final piece, who you got? Straight straight up. No spreads or nothing. <sighs> Man, I can't. I, I'm, I'm, I'm conflicted. I want to see Tom Brady and Gronk and those guys win, but I also would love to see Mahomes and then put another diamond in the, in, in the crown. So I am going to be agnostic on who I pick. And I know you want to, uh, you know, you, you, want, you want something, but I... I personally will be happy if it's a tie. <laughs> All right. I will. I'm. I. I want to root against my one of my best friends is all Brady, all Boston, ah. and we've been rooting each other against each other for years. And I've received so much shit from the Texans' terrible season that I have to root against my friend. Well, my, so I'm going Chiefs. My wife is not a Tom Brady fan, so <laughs> she's like, ah, oh, you know, the you know, like uh, the Chiefs is everything. So I'm excited to see Kansas City win another championship, but. I'll tell you, um, if Tom, like, I, I, I wonder if Tom wins, does he roll out into the sunset or does he Peyton come back? Peyton Manning style. Peyton Manning style. Or run it back Elway Or run style. it back. Yeah. I mean, if, if he wins, I, I was thinking about that. If he wins, he'll probably come back. If he loses, he'll probably come back. Like, he's not done. He's still, he's still playing at a high level. So I'm excited. Cool. Super right. Bowl. Yeah. Great listen. And hopefully a great game. And we'll, we'll see everyone next week. Bye. Bye. Or, I mean, Hi, Jason. Go. <laughs> and Jason Dunn. Yeah. Yeah. There's a pretty face. Oh, look at you. <laughs> JD, welcome to Power Athlete Radio. What's up, my brother? How you doing? How Man, you doing? I'm better seeing you. Man, hey, same here. Same here. I always joke, dude. I hadn't seen you in, a, in way too long. And when we were at Tony's Hall of Fame deal and I saw you from across, I almost teared up. And then I saw you, and you were tearing up, too. And you were like, dude, I missed you. I'm like, I missed you more. <laughs> oh, dude, that was so good. Like, it was, uh, I, I told somebody it was like chicken soup for the soul. I mean, I wasn't even there to see Tony's fucking big ass, you know, fucking big timer up there. Oh, yeah, catching everybody else. Yeah. 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 
you know, <laughs> hey, uh, Jeff Bezos is here for me. Mm. You're right. Yeah, I was just like, what? Wait a minute. Hold on. What's going on here? I was like, oh, okay. I get it. I see. I see. Oh, yeah. He's big yeah. time, comes dude. Big money. Oh. Big money comes in. <laughs> yeah. What's, what's up, Jason? Yeah, I'm, I'm Tex. Yeah, we've been, we've been in comms a little bit and excited to join you guys. I'll probably just be laughing alongside. John was sharing so, a couple uh, stories, including your touchdown dance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I told him since you couldn't dunk the ball over the uh, cross or uh, over the crossbar that you had to come up with your own touchdown dance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. That's for sure. I don't know. If remember, so uh, so I've had a couple of them. Uh, I know the one that, that Mike uh, kind of got on me about because, you know, I, I wasn't even supposed to play in the game because my back was so bad. And I come out doing this like this little. Like yeah. Michael Jackson, little shimmy with the little yeah, hip, yeah, yeah. you know. So, yeah. you know, I had to make fun of it. I was, you know, that was. I, hey, look, I, I've been practicing all week, and I'd be daggone if I wasn't gonna go out there and and show it just a little bit. So, you know, that was my uh, paying uh, some homage to Michael Jackson. You know, the little little dance. So, man, uh, for those of you guys listening, JD and I have uh, been friends for geez, over 20 years. Uh, I met JD when I first was a young rookie who went to Philadelphia Eagles. He was, uh, you know, got drafted by the Eagles second round and went in there, and I think it was a knee injury, right? It was. Yeah, yes. it was a knee injury. And, uh, you know, it's a real interesting business when you come in um, and you get drafted by another coach and then they bring in a new uh, coaching staff, new philosophy, new people. And JD had had this injury and, you know, they were pushing him to play and his knee wasn't right. And all of a sudden what they do to you is instead of being like, man, this guy's, you know, first, second round draft pick, he's been a good player for us or, you know, for the organization, we don't know him, but they came in and just kind of wrote him and, you know, tried to paint him in, uh, in into a circle a little bit. And then they ended up getting released and went to mm -hmm. the chiefs. And then, you know, five years later, you know, when my deal ends with uh, Philly and I come to the Chiefs and I got reunited with J.D. And so it was great to see him. And, and then uh, I got to line up next to a dude who was about equal my size. And we would absolutely fucking manhandle people. Like, <laughs> great, great model. Straight uh, model. Dude, like in meaningful ways, like hands all up in the neck, all real high in the face, fucking punching people in the face in the neck, standing them up and letting J.D. knock people down. Oh, Jesus. To the point where like in the middle of plays, you'd be like, oh, damn. Sorry. Like, you see some of dude just get fucking blasted. No, it was, uh, dude, we, I, man, it's funny. People ask me constantly. They're like, oh, what do you think? I'm like, I, I would say that's the, that was the best line in pro football. Oh, I mean, without a doubt, hands I'm, down. I, I don't, you know, you could argue the point, uh, but as far as the things that we did, not to mention, you know, the amount of guys that we, that, that that's in the hall of fame too. Right. I mean, the accolades, you know, kind of speaks for itself. Uh, but man, you're talking about just phenomenal. And, it, and it, it, it didn't it didn't matter what defenses were trying to do to us. I mean, they knew we were running the football, and it, they just couldn't stop it. I mean, we were, it was just that effective at, at running the football. And then, like John said, just the mauling of what we would do, man. I mean, you could hear when we talking about like combat, right on the line. I mean, you could hear all the grunts and the <clears throat> oh, you know, guys just kind of you know little whimpers. Oh, you know, just <laughs> <laughs> so so we used to lay out a lot of that uh, at, at punishment. On, uh, on 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 defenses, man. So yeah. it, it was fun. It was fun, John. Man, I, I man, I love you for it, man. I, I I used to tell people all the time, uh, always out there running out the tunnel. There was two guys <laughs> in my career that would that I would see come out the tunnel that would just invigorate me with energy, and I just knew this guy was coming out for business. One was Kevin Turner. Yeah. Uh, God rest his soul. God rest his soul. KT man, but. 
Another one was just well-born. And when I see John come out there, man, with the linemen, you know, because everybody come out like different, you know, uh, different groups. So it'd be like wide receivers, tight ends and quarterbacks and, and so forth. And the last ones that would come out was was always the linemen. And so as soon as you hear like that whistle coming up and I see John coming out there with that little big man strut, I'm like, hell yeah, there we ready. Now we're ready, right? So it's like, <laughs> dude, I I would come out and I would run as fast as I could because uh, yes. when, when I was a kid, uh, I was always a fight fan, and I remember seeing Tyson run out of the locker room with like leaving all of his people behind. You know, no, you know, no robes, no music, nothing. He would just fucking run as fast as he could down to the ring. So I remember when I first started for the Eagles. I was there and I got so fucking like wound up. I just had this like vision of Tyson sprinting out. So I just ran as fast as I could out there to get it. I was like, man, I'm going to run as fast as I can right into the fight. And uh, I, I and that's what I just did. And then it was funny because people used to see it. And they used to get like JD said, get all excited. I'm like, man, I'm just fucking excited to get this thing going. I like, you know, I and um, like seeing Ray Lewis fucking dance for 20 minutes and all, you know, all that shit. Like, and you're standing there and you're like, I'm going to beat this fucker's ass. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then they're like doing all this shit. And like the worst part, we go to Baltimore and they would always interview or uh, um, uh, like introduce the defense. So Ray could go out, do a stupid fucking dance. Yeah. And, uh, dude, I hated that. I was like, dude, they, they, the game was always 20 minutes behind. Like, let's get this fucking game going. Let's roll. And yeah. I think that like sense of urgency was something that we had on that offense. And, um, man, as I'm seeing Mahomes out there slanging it. And uh, no disrespect to Trent Green or any of the guys we had, but I was like, man, if we had a dude like that, oh, my God, with Tony and all that offensive line, fuck, oh, we would have yeah. had 20 championships. Oh, shoot, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, and, and, and the thing is, uh, you know, Trent, Trent made a Pro Bowl, right? Yeah. Like you said, no, no disrespect to him. But, you know, Patrick's, man, just a, a totally different animal. You know, just his mechanics, what he can do. You see just how he plays the, the game, you know, the passion that he has and, you know, I've been kind of watching, going back, you know, with some film of him just when he first got into the league and, you know, what he kind of meant to the team and to the guys and, you know, how he inspired them. But I guess his, his level of play, when you say guys could just kind of dedicated, you know, to to an art of, of being great, uh, you know, he, he's an epitome of all of that. I mean, he really is. So you're talking about, you know, having the passion, having the fun. I mean, he goes out there, man, he's, and, and I'm watching him, like, you know, when they have him mic'd up, He's telling guys that tackling like, man, great tackle. Like, oh man, it's a good hit. And he's just, he's just so happy and thrilled to be out there. And so sometimes, man, when you, you know, when you're going out there and you're getting hit around and, you know, guys are just kind of laying into you, you know, you just like, man, get off me. You know, you just, you know, because it's, you know, it's supposed to be combative, but you know, he has a whole different mindset to what he's doing, man. He's just enjoying every aspect of, of, of playing football. Oh, and I think that's what that's going to be. It is. No, no doubt about it. And, and the guys around him just rally around him because they see it, too. So it's the same thing. Like, uh, I think it was uh, Hardman that he, he had the fumble in the last game. And so, he, of course, he's on the sideline. I think he, he threw the coat over top of him, trying to hide. Yeah. And, and, of course, Kelsey comes up to him. Then Patrick comes up. He's like, look, man, look, you'll make another play. Don't worry about it. Let that go. And so sometimes you just need that guy. You just need that reassurance, you know, hearing from somebody else to tell you, like, man, it's going to be okay. And yeah. that, that's – you know, they, for, they, for called, us. they called his number. They gave him that opportunity when yeah. they were close to the goal line and ran it in with him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. if a smart coach will see a guy like that and give him an opportunity to, to renew himself, you know, um, you know, whereas a lot of coaches will be like, fucking fuck that guy. You know, one, he's burned down, you know, kind of like the Belichick mentality. But, you know, Andy's smart enough to realize, like, these guys are players. 
I need everybody going in the right direction. If the team believes in them at this point, I'm not going to put them into a bad position. They fuck it up. I'm going to give them the ball the very next play and let them prove how good, you know, how good or bad they are. Which at that point, that guy is going to go out and play harder just to, you know, play up to the caliber of what people are expecting. I mean, when you're playing on a team like that, and I was fortunate to play on, I mean, shit, dude. I mean, we won a lot of games even with McNabb, which we shouldn't have because um, he was awful. Um, just, I mean, like, fuck. And the funny part is he's, like, talking about, like, I deserve to be in the Hall of Fame consideration. And I was like, oh, my God. That's where T.O. came out and was fucking shelling him. And I was <laughs> dying. And they're like, and it's like, I wasn't drunk in the night, you know, uh, hung over the day in the Super Bowl. I was like, no, you were. I mean, come on. But, um, oh, wow. like, that type of stuff, man, like, uh, having a player like that where – you know, uh, you're going to go back in and that guy's going to be able to do it. I mean, that's really pretty inspiring, dude. And I, I'll tell you, man, like I've never been more happy for Kansas City and the Chiefs and that organization. And I'm, I'm just sad Mr. Hunt, who was such a nice man, uh, yeah. you know, didn't live long enough to see this come to fruition. I mean, he got to see us play on Thursday night for, this, for uh, uh, Thanksgiving, but didn't get a chance to see the Chiefs ever play in a Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, he, he, man, just such a, a gracious type of, of guy. And the thing is, just kind of testament to who he was, he would know every guy's name in the locker room. And I don't know a lot of owners that could do that, but also being personable will come down and just ask, how you doing? How's your mom? How's your family? Uh, so he, he was somebody that you, you, know, you really wanted to, to play and win for. Um, so, um, yeah, John, I, I'm, I'm the same with you, man. I wish we had a chance to, to really bring it there because, I mean, we had opportunities. And, yeah. you know, we had some, some, some good squads, man. We, we really did. And it's just... You know, these plays here and there, and that's just what makes it so significant about being in the playoffs, um, about, you know, the one and done and going home. Yeah. So, man, it, it, that's that's tough. That's tough. But. Well, um, I've talked a little bit on this podcast. Um, I try not to get into this, you know, war story type of stuff, but, uh, you know, we definitely had an opportunity. I mean, when we went down and played in Indianapolis in that, you know, wild card game, you know, and Rove comes up with a back injury and, you know, Jordan Black comes out and, you know, trying to go against Dwight Freeney and which was just an absolute massacre. I mean, I've never in my life seen remember that. And then they bring Chris yeah. Terry in and put me at at, uh, at at tight end on the other side. And I'm like, yeah. dude, they're like, they want you to play left tight end. I'm like, I've never played tight end. And they're like, you don't have to go out for a pass. We just need to double team this dude. I mean, like yeah. pulling shit out like that in the second quarter without ever practicing it, discussing it, and telling me, like, on a TV timeout, like, not, you know, like, yeah. it's just, that was some Mickey Mouse shit. Man, sometimes, man, when the wheels are falling off, man, you got <laughs> to bring out the tape, right? I mean, that's what you have to do. <laughs> well, I mean, but, uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm with you. It's it just, like, for me, I mean, with the, the quality of individuals we had, like, you know, we could have slid that way. I mean, I, you know, I, I know we always slide weak, but, I mean, mm-hmm. shit, we could have put a guy on there and slid. And, I mean, there were so many things that just – it uh, it's pretty interesting to see in those stressful situations. And I always talk about like, you know, when, when stressful situations happen, you know, who are the people you want to be in a foxhole with? Uh, you know, who are the people who you're nervous? And I felt like a lot of times when shit started to go down, like these aren't the dudes I wanted in the foxhole. I mean, and that was part of that coaching staff too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, 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 and I, and I look at it like this from, from that standpoint. Um, so, we, you know, we're just kind of talking about the offensive line in itself. If you're looking for guys to, to be able to do it, to make that adjustment, uh, that unit in itself, man, was was the one that could do it, right? So yeah. there was a reason, you know, that, that they brought you over because they knew, you know, what you can do, your ability. Because it's like, okay, look, if, we, if we're going to make some some changes around here, we got to do it on offensive line. The offensive line is going to be the one that, that could get, out, get us out of this thing. And so 
You know, I, I agree with you. You know, you bring it back over the chip, right? On Freeney. I mean, Freeney was just dynamic during that time, man. He, oh. I mean, he was eating pretty much everybody's lunch, you know, somewhat. But Dude. I mean, Rolf would have gave him his business. I, you know, oh. I know Rolf, of course, was, I don't think he, he ever lost that battle against him. Uh, but yeah, it was unfair to Jordan, you know, to kind of put him in that situation. Uh, but yeah, man, it, it, you know, sometimes, man, when, when you're, we're talking, uh, you know, about staffs and, you know, philosophies that, that each coaching style has, man, it's, it's, you know, everybody done jail well with it. Right. And so sometimes when you, when you kind of see, uh, lack of a better word, uh, uh, the weakness of, of a particular team, because a lot of things that we was also, uh, uh, dealing with it was a defense a defense wasn't oh. really stopping anybody and they'll tell you that too yeah you know, no so. I, I, like in, and what's uh what's amazing when i see this chiefs team now their defense yeah. is really stingy and i was telling these guys the other day we were talking about them like you know defense doesn't have to be uh you know this fucking i mean it's great if they can beat the brakes off of people but all i really want is an offense that's dynamic that can score a lot of points and i want a stingy defense that'll like fight you fight you fight you and then like three and out at like you know like in the red zone like let you go six seven plays and then get a big play or a fumble or you know a three and out and that was the thing when i'm watching the chiefs i'm like man their defense is stingy like they're giving 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 and then they stop like it's not like they go out and they're gonna fucking get a ton of sacks even though their players are pretty good but man they're stingy and uh, i like to see stingy defenses yeah i'm I'm right there with you you know and and the the thing is of course you have the teams of like baltimore the past you know the you know the Defense was a dynamic part of their, you know, their their game, the team. But when you have a team like this where you have, you know, uh, uh, Matthew, the Honey Badger, and, you know, Breland, those guys playing Sorensen, playing, you know, just lights out football. Yeah. Uh, and, and Chris Jones inside. I mean, you can name guys that are this, this impactful uh, defensively. And like you said, just being stingy. And it's like, okay, Ben, don't break. So if something happens on offense, right, when, when, when Patrick went down, um, you know, in the game, this is the time for the defense to step up. And so those guys understood, you know, pretty much what was on their shoulders. And when you have that and guys are like, look, you know what? He's out the game now. It's our time. We have to do it right now. It's time to make that stop. So it it is just, look, not just maintaining, but also to, look, we're we're talking about a concerted front of of making sure that this team doesn't go any further than this. So if you hold them to three, right, you just want a team to hold them to three. And our problem was when we would score a touchdown, our defense would give up a touchdown. That's like, oh, my God, like, you know, just hold them to three, right? Because yep. it's just, you ask them, you know, your guy, you win. So it's like we, we can't be in this match, you know, just, just going back and forth, tip for tat. So Jason, I agree with you. How, how important is leadership? So from an outside perspective, we see the, we see the Honey Badger and Sorensen and these dudes, they're highlighting. Mm-hmm. Are they not just voices? Is it actual leadership in – you know, versus scheming and coaching and then leaning on those guys. And then we just hear the voices of these leaders. I mean, it, it is actual leadership, you know, and when we sit there, we're talking about the general on offense is Patrick and on defense, it has to be, you know, honey badger. And so when he, you know, he's out there and then the Swanson. So these guys, what they do it, like, like John said earlier, it's, I mean, it's infectious. And so when these guys, you look for these guys to make plays. Sometimes they make plays and times like, okay, yeah, we needed that guy to make the play right then and there, you know, for everybody else to get a boost. And so, uh, you know, some of the voices of the coaches, I mean, look, when you get into the NFL, you know, we're all professionals, right? So we understand what our job is supposed to do. I mean, that, that's our livelihood. But it's another thing when guys come out there and he's giving them like a little bit extra and 
he's kind of a guy that, that stays hype all the time. And so when you have Honey Badger, Chris Jones, Hornson, those guys are just the voices in the defense, the leaders of the team. Those are the guys that you have to hear. And sometimes if, if when you're playing, you're not hearing those guys, you're like, you're like, okay, where, where's that voice? Where's that voice at? Right. So, uh, I mean, I could imagine, you know, general Patton, like shit, you know, truce already. Can, can we hear Patton? Right. Where, where's he at? We want to hear him. You know, we don't need a guy come standing up on the, uh, the water cooler who hasn't been a leader before. Like, hey, you know, hey, sit your ass down. False, uh, I call those false prophets. We used to see that all the time. You remember when all of a sudden people like shit would be going weird or something would happen. And some dude that never works hard, never says shit's all of a sudden out there trying to pontificate. And I'd be like, oh, false right. prophets. The, um, the analogy I've, I've given for these guys for so long and, uh, it, you know, it happens in organizations, football, I mean, companies and everything. You have to have a straw that stirs the drink. And I think, uh, you know, like I remember sitting in, um, you know, uh, you know, an offensive install in Philly and we were going to play uh, New York Giants um, on like a, I think it was New Year's or maybe the day before you New Year's. I think it was New Year's Eve at like seven o'clock in, uh, in New York. And I just remember them being like, hey, you know, Strahan, the straw that stirs the drink. And, uh, you know, and it was like on Runyon to shut him down. And I had, you know, uh, Keith Hamilton and all these different individuals and, you know, the linebacker core. And it just was interesting the way that they kind of said, hey, this is a this is a guy who's a straw. If, if you know, if the fizzle stops, this is the guy that's going to whip it all up. And um, you got to go out and neutralize those straws. And so that was kind of a good analogy for it. And I think when you have guys that, you know, are the straw not only vocally, but can go out and make a big play and rally people around them and not just have it be one dude, you know, like I was thinking like, man, like when, when we were playing on our defense, like who was our straw? Like uh, Kawika Mitchell, you know, playing linebacker, dude, wasn't a very vocal dude. I mean, played hard. You knew he was kind of a, you know, hard hat, lunch pail dude. He was going to show up. I mean, Eric Hicks wasn't necessarily a super vocal guy. And I was thinking, like, man, like, who did we have? You know, Tomba? Not really. Jared Allen? Yeah, Jared. Jared? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes, John, it, that's, that's, a, that's a great analogy. Uh, you know, just kind of looking at it. Um, hmm. I'll t- I tell you who, secondarily-wise, I, I used to like, like Greg Wesley. Like, Greg mm-hmm. Wesley, I know, would leave it out on, on the field. No, no doubt about it. Um, and... and I always say this and, 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 and kind of, you know, giving him a lot of, uh, a lot of credit whenever a guy would, would break out, you know, running as far as like, you know, look like a, you know, running back would, would, would make it all the way. Greg Wesley would always run him down. I, I would always have a faith that 25 would just run him down, you know, from out, just looking like a gazelle coming out of, you know, just, just going to go get him. So sometimes man, what, what, what ends up happening on teams is, Sometimes you, you thrust guys into a position to be leaders and they're, they're just not ready, you know, and, and that voice guys and that's not listening to. Uh, and, and like you said, sometimes as coaches wise, you know, you have those guys come up and, and you just kind of like, like, all right, man, this guy's not doing it for us. You know, it's just that's just not the voice for us. It's not the guy that's going to be the one that's going to inspire us or as you will, you know, the start, you know, the straw that stirs everything up. Uh, but we, we had some guys, but we, we needed that that guy, right? It wasn't always the, the big money guy that was doing it. And that's probably some of the problem, too, because sometimes you bring a free agent uh, a, a guy in and he's making all the money, but yet he's not that guy. Yeah. You know, so it's got there has to be that dynamic between, you know, relationships with guys on a team and somebody's coming in like, OK, when a guy comes in, he already knows who he is. He, he knows, like, look, man, you know what? 
I'm just here to make this thing work. And all of a sudden, he just works himself into the organization and the guys into the locker room. Everybody's starting to see it like, man, shit, this, this is, you know, uh, is this the leader? Yeah, it is. Here he goes. Right. So, um, I mean, we we played against, uh, you know, obviously we played against the pa- Patriots numerous times <laughs> in Tom Brady. Uh, yeah. You know, I felt like we had a lot of heavy, you know, heavyweight fist fights with those guys. And as you're looking at this Super Bowl coming up, and this is going to be our pre-Super Bowl edition, which I think is going to kick ass, um, that pre-Super Bowl, uh, like, what do you foresee as, um, you know, as somebody that I would consider played the game, uh, you know, as long as I have and, you know, at a high level and lined up next to, I respect your opinion and, you know, not only as a player, but as a good friend. Uh, how do you view this? I mean, this is a, such an interesting matchup because, you know, Kansas City has so much momentum and whatever, but you're bringing in a dude like Tom Brady who has so much experience. He's been there before, but so has the Chiefs. And yeah. uh, I just really wonder, like, like, what's your take on that? So I always say, man, this is the, 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 the Tom Brady magic. And, you know, what he brings to the team. And I, I know everybody does the comparison between him and, you know, Belichick and what, what he's done up there and bringing it down here. But look, Tom, Tom has, has come into a, a position of getting a great offense around him. I mean, he has a, a, a tremendous cast. And so sometimes when you have, you know, the instruments that you need that, that, that are great instruments around you, sometimes you just need that conductor, right? So he was just kind of that conductor coming into to Tampa Bay that he needed, like, you know, get Evans going and Godwin going. You bring Gronk down there. Um, you know, uh, Fournette comes in, does a tremendous job. Uh, Miller is, you know, killing them out there. And so also, too, he inspires the defense. They have a great defense. So I, I think, you know, with, with Tampa Bay and, and Kansas City, they, they're two teams that match up really well, right, with, especially with the things that they do. Uh, but Tom, Tom just has an element about him. Uh, where he, he is, he's, he's developed that leadership. He's, he's been, you know, uh, uh, forged in the fire. I mean, he's a champion, right? Everybody mm-hmm. understands, like, this is the epitome of, of, of being a champion in, in the NFL, Super Bowl champ. So he just he brings that to the table. But I think sometimes what, what happened, and I don't want to take away from, from Aaron's part in this either, Bruce Aaron's part about getting time together too. Cause Tom, I, th- I think he had an expectation. What you could do sometimes have an expectation with some guys about how you did it in the uh, previous organization. The guys weren't ready for it. Bruce was like, wait a minute, hold on Tom. Listen, you, you know, you're not up in new England anymore, right? That guy it, it's over. It, it's time for you to adjust who you are to these guys. Cause those guys are not those guys. They're not in Belichick's locker room who we belittle all the time, all the things that we do that those things are not going to work. So you got to have a whole different approach. And I think Tom adapted to that to get the guys to where they're playing right now. Um, do, you, do you think uh, you think Bruce Aarons is worth a shit? I do. So I do. You, you, so you, know you like what? him as a head coach? I like him as a head coach. And, and the reason I say that, well, for one, I think he gives a lot of former players chances to come out to coach. That's one one reason I, I, I love the guy because of that. And, he, you know, he's a, he's a player's coach. Uh, but I, I think he, he kind of understands – you know, locker rooms. He understands, you know, the, the feel of guys. And, and sometimes you could have a head coach, the guys are just like, we going back to like the guys you're really jail with, right? Yeah. It's like, look, you, you've never played a, a down of football in your life, right? You're, you're a pencil pusher. You're coming out here and you're, you're, you're just 
you know, gearing guys for, for whatever reason. You, you have no idea what it means to block a non-technique, right? You have, yeah. you have no idea what it means for a guy to get up underneath your chin and you lose two teeth, you know, on this play. So sometimes, man, if you haven't really been forced in that fire, it's kind of hard for guys to really relate to this message that's coming out. Uh, and, and sometimes I used to always hate that, but Bruce, I think he understands like, look, one of the dynamics I have to do is I got to bring former players in here mm. to coach these guys. Mm-hmm. Cause man, look, I, I can respect that. Shoot. If I got, uh, you and me. It, yeah. See, I, I, well, what, how am I not going to listen to John Wellborn? Right. Yeah. When, when I know for a fact, this guy has been, you know, forced in that fire, when he's been in battle, when I'm seeing, you look, they tell him all the things that he, he's taping up his, his, his wrist and putting glass on it. You know I mean? This guy's, you know, this, this is the guy you want, right, mm-hmm. to lead you. And I think it's important as, as a coach, too, that these guys, like, look, this guy's not playing around. He's a guy I can trust. He's been through it before. He knows everything that goes on during our season, you know, out of the home, in the locker rooms. This is a guy. This is a brother. That's what he is. He's a brother that played before. Right, and I could take everything he says to the bank. You he think they got like a, a you think they got a uh, brother coordinator down there, like Billy Long? Ooh, I, I, you know, you know what? <laughs> hey, look, Billy man, look, Long, Billy, Billy yeah, Long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Billy, special people, man. Billy, special people. I'm gonna be making another Billy Long, man. That, you know, that was the only thing about it. Oh God. Man, I was thinking about Billy Long this like before this, and I was like, man, I'm gonna wait about 30 minutes in. I'm gonna drop a Billy Long on JD and see how he reacts to it. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go to work. Gotta go to work. So, so, uh, so let's give, give uh, yeah, let's give the audience a little context and see if I'm okay. messing it up. So, okay. Okay. Uh, Dick Vermeil comes obviously from St. Louis, and uh, you know, Dick is a bit of a taskmaster to say the least, almost legendary. To the point where, you know, old school, we had two, three hour padded practices every single day. And, um, you know, in an era that was okay, and and even though we don't, you know, I I would say we played at the tail end of what I consider to be like the last kind of bastion of real football. Like this stuff today is so neutered. I remember after the new CBA got signed a couple years ago, Tony called me. He's like, dude, we could have 20 years. He's like, dude, 20 years on the schedule we could have played. He's like, think about how many careers Dick Vermeil ended in training camp with just that amount of reps. And so uh, people used to get fucking riled up and be like, they can't fire us all. And there'd be dissension in the locker room. So Dick had this guy, individual named Billy Long, who he was codenamed the brother coordinator. And I don't mean brother just in the you know black sense, but like I mean just like the brother coordinator. He was in the locker room. He was kind of everybody's buddy. He was in there trying to, you know, he, he was the guy they bring in to like break up the union from from striking. I mean, it was just kind of like if somebody was, uh, you know, uh, you know, too far out, Billy Long, be like, yo, I'm Billy Long, let me take you to lunch. And uh, did he say his name before oh, yeah. he said anything? Oh, yeah. No, he referred to himself <laughs> as Billy Long. Like he 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 referred to himself in the in, in the like the third person all the time. And he would work out with dudes and he just his title was a brother coordinator and uh, he was real good. And then when Dick left, I believe he stayed on with uh, um, with Herm. And it was just a really funny thing where, you know, in those situations, like you got to have somebody who's like not a player, not a coach somewhere in the middle of this thing, just kind of managing these different dynamic personalities. Is that pretty accurate? That, that, that's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> wonderful right there. That's, that's a great, great description of who Billy is. And so what, what, what Billy would also do, just, just the, you know, the brother coordinator, um, 
so part of part of doing that, I guess, managing guys and, and making sure they didn't get too far away from the reservation, you would you would bring guys back, right? And so what you would do, he would go out, he'll 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 hang out and drink with guys. That's what you do. He'll come out and drink and you know go have dinner and, and smoke a black man. Yeah, you, you start you start wondering like, well, shit, is this a setup? Is, is he really setting this up? Is he the one you know taking all the information back? Is he is he the one chirping yeah. you know to the coaches? And and yeah. really wasn't that guy, you know, at least from my opinion, he wasn't. Yeah. You know, he was just he was really just trying to create relationships with guys like, look, you know what? He cares about you. So when you think like, look, shit, you know, you know, coach got on me today. Well, yeah, but he you know he got on you for this, and you know you weren't really doing your job. So he was kind of a voice of reason, or like you said, the, the brother guy that would come in and 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 it would definitely kind of be in your corner to try to bring you back yeah so he, he did a tremendous job man you know hats off to billy man it just hats off to you man do you Great I mean, uh, like is that a re- i mean it was the first time i, I i'd ever seen it because when, when I, we were in philly we had a you know kind of a player personnel you know kind of liaison in harold michaels and you remember uh, uh big h he was a uh, you know receiver yeah. for the eagles back in the 70s mm-hmm. and he was kind of this individual who was like an ex-player that kept him around. Um, I don't think he got a lot of respect and dudes used to talk a lot of shit to him. Um, but like, I wonder if like that model for that Billy Long, that kind of individual to kind of, you know, come and create some bridges. If, if, if that's something that other teams have replicated, I mean, I didn't see it at the, at the Patriots when I went there, but everybody was kind of like, I felt like playing for the Patriots was kind of like, uh, like almost like hired guns, like, uh, you know, Hey, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to bring in as many hired guns as we can to kill as many people. And, you know, mm-hmm. we're just going to keep bringing people in. And, you know, there, there wasn't a ton of loyalty outside of those core players like Tom and, you know, Vrabel and those dudes who, you know, had come through and everybody else was just these kind of hired guns that they brought in to fill tasks and Belichick. Led, oh yeah. I mean, he dude, and, and he was mince, no meats. Uh, he was not a friendly dude. I mean, Hey, you know, do your fucking job and get the fuck out of here. Kind of attitude. So, um, it's kind of interesting coming from like a Dick Vermeil where, you know, tearing up, welting up, never saw a tear oh, yeah. in all of our <laughs> years, you know, every, like every day in meetings, like he's practically in tears to a Belichick situation and Herm, you know, and it was just so, it was so weird to see this gamut of just coaches and how they attack this thing and manage all these really dynamic personalities. See, and, and, and kind of going back to, you know, what we were talking about before, you know, with Tom, with Tom and, 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 how it plays out with them, you know, you being in, in, in New England, what did you see as far as, you know, Tom, where he's at right now from when he was in New England? And what do you see what he brought down to there? And what what has he like just left behind? Well, what, um, you know, Tom and I had met socially actually with Tony in Vegas. So I, I had hung out with him on a few occasions. Mm-hmm. And when I'd see him, it was like, um, you know, I, I filmed that commercial with Peyton when I was in Philly. And so like, I, you know, knew him socially and I'd uh, gone to dinner with he and his wife and, you know, hung out with him socially before. So, uh, you know, if I'd see him after the game, same thing with Tom. So when I came in, he was like, oh, shit, you know, he, I went to school with his sister at Berkeley, um, you know, so okay. I'd, I'd known him socially. And uh, it was pretty interesting, man. He had, like, his own deal. He had his own trainer. He had his own part of the locker room. He just, like, he was, you know, the, he wasn't like everybody else, which as he shouldn't be. You know, I mean, the guy is their franchise. I mean, he's won all these, you know, he's done more than he's, you know, he's the greatest of all time. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, there was definitely, 
I think like a, a, a bit of shared leadership where like, you know, people had, you know, faith in Tom, but there was this kind of Belichick kind of overarching, like, you know, Dr. Evil almost, you know, like we're the Dr. Evil of this thing. And don't worry, I got a plan. You know, there's mm. things going on behind these, you know, behind the, you know, the screens that you guys don't know. And uh, it was just kind of a weird confidence, like Belichick's going to make sure everybody's ready and Tom's going to go out there and fucking light it up. I think when he went down to Tampa Bay, uh, you know, the Patriots bring in the right type of people and they indoctrinate people and, you know, Belichick and Pioli and all those guys. So I think he goes down to Tampa and there had been kind of not necessarily that culture. And I think early on we saw a little bit of like friction where, you know, Tom was used to a, hey, I know how to fucking win games. Just do what I say and follow me and we'll kick ass. And then Bruce Aarons, who's probably... I don't know, man. Like you said, like uh, he kind of strikes me, like you said, a lot more of a uh, player's coach. And I don't mm-hmm. know if Tom had ever played for a player's coach. So, uh, you know, and the, the crazy part was, man, like when they came out and they were doing okay and then they kind of stumbled a little bit midseason, people were fucking rat-fucking them. Like I've never in my life yeah. seen anybody want to dogpile these guys so bad. I mean, like the, the media questions. And Bruce Aarons even kind of was like, well, you know, Tom's not getting it done. Made some interesting comments. And I think at that point, uh, everything started to gel. And now we're seeing this kind of ascension where it's like, hey, man, I was on another team for 20 years. You bring me in and, uh, you know, and I guarantee the offensive. I mean, Tom's calling all of his own plays, which he should be. I mean, he's the coordinators, Byron Leftwich. Yeah. So former Pittsburgh quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. I know Byron. Um, Are you telling me that Byron Leftwich is uh, calling plays for him? No, he's probably in Tom's ear, giving him down a distance, giving him, you know, hey, they're bringing in cover two. They're, you know, they're going to go 34. I mean, he's probably just giving him stats. And, you know, as you know, I mean, we sat in all those meetings. We know exactly. I mean, the cool thing about playing for for, for Meal, you remember when he bring in his statistician? And yeah. they'd be oh, like, yeah. hey, you know, uh, in the red zone, if they're up by seven going this way, we know this is their tendencies. And those tendencies exist. So, I mean, it's kind of why Tony Romo pulls his magic on TV now and people think he's like a fucking genius, which he's a really good announcer and a much better announcer than he was a quarterback. But yeah. it's those guys are so sharp and they know the down and distances and the information because like this is all they did. And so, I mean, you know, and we did it too. I mean, I, I knew when we were in the red zone, if it was like second and three, you know, first and 10, you know, three and five, well, you know, whatever it was, I knew exactly what plays we were going to run. You know, oh, there's yeah. about three of them. And, right. uh, you know, when you see those tendencies, you know, up, you're like, oh, man, they're in trips. They're going to run this, you know. And, uh, you know, there's not that as many looks. So I think what happened was Tom got down there. I think he probably took a little bit to kind of get these guys to jail because I bet you a lot of those guys were kind of in awe a little bit. I mean, there are probably dudes on that team that were like grade school kids seeing Tom Brady win his first Super Bowl. Oh, no doubt. I mean, what? No like, he, okay, so we're 2021. I mean, there's kids that were probably born in like the – the mid nineties that were probably five or six years old when he won his first Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. And now these dudes, Super Bowl. Yeah. And now these dudes are out there playing with him. I mean, there's gotta be a little bit of like, holy shit. Like I, I remember when I was at the Eagles and Eric B came in the huddle, I was a rookie and I was like, dude, mm. I remember seeing him play at Colorado in the national championship when I was a little kid. Um, yes. You know, Sean Landetta. I mean, dude, like I, I, I even had a little bit of that, you know, you're, you're playing against these dudes and like some of these, you know, uh, um, uh, who was it? Um, who is the big dude for Pittsburgh? Um, the three hundred pound linebacker, yeah, yeah, LeBron Kirkland. I remember yeah. seeing LeBron Kirkland play, and when I lined up against him, and he came on, our, and when he came to the Eagles, I was like, I asked him for a jersey. I was like, dude, I was, I'm a big fan. 
So, I mean, like, I, I think that's what's pretty interesting is that, like, he goes down there and he's this larger than life character. I mean, he's married to a supermodel. He's one, you know, this and everybody knows the legend of Tom Brady and the Patriots. And yeah. he comes down and I mean, I mean, shit, he's older than Byron Leftwich, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you know, because I mean, Byron's younger than me. So uh, he comes down and I think it, it's kind of one of those really dynamic situations where it probably just took a little time for people to like knock it off, you know, knock the rust off, like get a feeling, like understand how this dude is and kind of like get into it. And here they are in their first year. I mean, him, for him to go down there and get him to Super Bowl in their first year. I mean, and, you know, and what's cool is that there were enough solid players, you know, like Florinick gets released and is floating yeah. around. I'm like, didn't right. that dude win the Heisman a couple of years ago when he was in a shitty situation right. in Jacksonville? They bring mm-hmm. that dude in. That guy's a star back. So, I mean, you know, and then Gronkowski comes back. So you have players who are willing to go in and play for the minimum with the opportunity to win a Super Bowl and play a- with the greatest a- guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's another one. I mean, a- it's. A- right. Wow. That's, yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, he's had his problems, but that dude can still ball. Yeah. And, 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 and of course, everybody knows that, look, nothing's going to get done without Tom, you know, signing off to it either. Right. So he'd be coming in. He, I mean, he was the one that was was probably politicking for him to come in. It's like, look, I wanted A.B. up there in uh, in New England to have him. And I, now I had to have him down here, regardless of all the things going on. You know, I'll talk to him. I'll make sure he understands exactly what the culture is, what we're trying to do, what we're trying to achieve. And this guy needs another chance. And that's what you see guys now getting second chances like when that. Right. I mean, after what he got hurt. It's like he was done, right? And that's the first thing they do. Like, like you said, you know, it's always it's gonna be critical about who you are, what you've done lately, right? And sometimes they forget really, you know, who you are and what you have done. And so they say, Well, this guy doesn't have it anymore. Yeah, you know, he, he's washed up. Yeah. And so you just he, he, you know, before that comes out, reinvigorated a little bit more now, like, oh look, he's running the football, he's toting it exactly at the time that they needed that guy to do it. And so the same thing with with A B. A B's out there and he's you know, he's lighting guys up because he's A B. Everybody forgot about like, man, this is the best receiver just two years ago. Yeah. So any like the guy lost that. I mean, it's still there, but we need somebody to bring it out. And I think, you know, and I'll go to like part of the tactics too, I think, John, is uh Aaron's just going to the media, kind of saying those things, the grumblings about where Tom may not be, he's not quite getting it, to kind of get that out of Tom too. Mm. Right. And it was just th- those tactics. Well, yeah, you know, he's, you know, we, we have to start thinking about, you know, maybe a different quarterback going a different direction. You know, Tom's like, what? You know, <laughs> How fucking dare probably, you? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, he's probably, you know, talking to, you know, uh, Giselle, like, hey, look, thinking about replacing She's like, you better not let him. Oh, yeah, no, she's, uh, she's fucking, yes. uh, she's probably like, you go out there. I mean, we've been to Brazil. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the cool thing about JD and uh, our clique, man, we went to Puerto Rico. We traveled all over. We went to Brazil for, weeks and uh um so i mean like that's the kind of the cool thing about uh you know our team and i think that we had such a tight group was because you know not only did we play the whole season hang out every day do everything and then the off season we're like where are we going on vacation right right (laughs) but uh, yeah man i'm i'm um it's kind of weird it's bittersweet i am uh forever like so when i was at the patriots and like uh you know knowing tom like you know there's always this attitude we're like oh is it really tom or is it Belichick and I'm like that dude's a good player man like I think you could put him in anybody's situation and he'd be an absolute stunner and so I'm excited to see him go down to Tampa and have an opportunity but then I'm also you know uh, I'm a Holmes fan and I want to see you know the Kansas City I mean win it and do that and be able to start their dynasty I mean they've already started the dynasty this is just another diamond in it and to really kind of see this kid who's the heir apparent it's kind of that old line versus young line stuff 
And uh, man, I'm excited. I like. I'm, it's kind of bittersweet. I want to see Tom do it because I realize uh, the the clock is ticking. Like, I don't know how long that dude's going to play. As you know, I mean, he's you know he's 43, playing yeah. into into your 40s. Phenomenal. That's that, that's incredible in itself. Yeah, so, I mean, and, and and at a high level, I think he's playing at a high level, man. I'm I'm, I'm watching some of the balls that's coming out of his hand, and he's he's got some tight spirals. And of course, I'm just not going to be great. And, and of course, as as being one of the greatest to ever do it. You know, everybody's always going to be critical with the one that doesn't come out of your hand right. It's like, oh, look at this. You know, it was, it, it was past him. It was down under there. Well, shit, you're going to have that in, in any play. I don't care what quarterback you have throwing the football. Not every throw is going to be great. It's, it's just not. And 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 kind of for me, I know, it's, look, first off, it's going to be great for the city, right? First time that they've ever had a team, which is just it's crazy to even think that. Uh, first time that you ever host, uh, the city hosts the, the, the team that actually makes it. So it's going to be great for Tampa Bay, just that area in itself. Um, and, and on our podcast, we were just kind of talking about, do Chiefs fans, do they travel well? And I'm like, yes, they do. So you're going to have, you know, a great dynamic of, of, of fans coming down. It's going to be around the area. Yeah, I think they're only going to have like 20,000 people there in the stands, but just in the city in itself, it's oh, yeah. going to be incredible. We well, just feel with, with, you know, fans coming from all over. And, and, and of course, we know that Florida is just a transient state anyway, but you have a lot of Chiefs fans that's down there uh, still. But I, I tell you what, man, Tom, uh, to me, I'm like this. Look, Tom's won. He's, he's been to 10 Super Bowls, okay? And I'm always kind of rooting for the underdog here. Always. I, I'm, I'm really looking for luck. You know what, Tom? Man, you, you, you've done it, man. You, you've gone out on your shield, you know, at the, at the highest level you could possibly do. I mean, shit, you know, now it's time to, to, you know, pass the baton, if you will, to Patrick and not take anything away from time because, you know, just make it to the Super Bowl against these odds because it was that 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 question of always, is it Belichick? Is it time? Is it? Sure. Okay, well, maybe the answer has been, oh, <laughs> yeah. been answered. I think it's been fucking solidified. Yes, right. Uh, you know, because look, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I was always thinking, so look, it's, it's the system that they run up there. Mm-hmm. And it is, that's true. It's part of the system. But also, too, man, you, you got to have somebody that, that's behind this, at the helm of the system, right? So, you know, every boat that's fast, well, shit, you got to have a driver. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, shit, you got to have a. Well, you know, the a system worked it. because the individual that was quarterbacking the system understood it and was able yes. to facilitate it. And it's funny, right. they take, uh, I mean, um, uh, the uh, Cam Newton they bring in, who was um, you know played in the Super Bowl and you know very talented player. I mean, has all the intangibles. Is big. It's like six five, two sixty, big mm-hmm. arm. Has all these things. What, former MVP. MVP, and yes. goes in and you know I know he's at the tail end of his uh, his career, but he's ten years younger than Tom. Mm-hmm. And goes in there and can't get the magic going the way that he could, and you know uh, you know needed more people. And it was funny the um, which is so rare the Patriots. But uh, their offensive coordinator, I forget his name, uh, and the quarterback's coach, we're talking about. Uh, Josh McDaniel? Yeah, it's Josh McDaniel. He's kind of a fucking shithead. Um, Shitty head coach at Denver. Uh, But he was talking about how great he was, and Cam Newton was this amazing player. Came in, you know, first guy into the office, last one to leave. You know, probably the, you know, one of the greatest players that, you know, know, preparation-wise and this. I mean, was like, when have you ever heard the fucking Patriots say that about anybody? And I was like, really? Uh, okay. Uh, but you guys, you know, now you guys are trying to trade for the kid down in Houston. I don't know if you saw that. They, they shot a trade offer for... Uh, he has officially asked for a trade. Well, they, they have four teams lined up, and the Patriots are one of them offering stuff. 
So I was just looking at that. And, uh, I mean, if he's so great, I mean, shit, they brought him in a one-year deal with no uh, chance of, you know, bringing him in for a second year. And right. it's just funny that, you know, they're giving him this glowing fucking uh, resume. And I'm like, dude, when have the Patriots ever said anything like this? It's so weird to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> what we know sometimes in the NFL, you know, they massage you. Oh, yeah, no, doing such a great job. Next thing you know, you're look, looking at the fucking uh, the, the, the news feed and you, you've been traded or been cut. Yeah. It's like, shit, what the hell? I, I, you, know, you just told me I was, you know, a great massage bread yesterday. Yeah. All right? Hell, you was massaging my, my, you know, my nuts. You know, <laughs> thinking the thing, you know, I was going to go ahead and, and, and get one off. But <laughs> here, here we are. And, and so it is weird. I, I, I didn't know that, but I knew him signing the one year deal. Yeah. That that was probably what it's all was, was going to be. That was it. And, you know, I think Cam, you know, just kind of going to him. Uh, you know, when a guy gets hurt and, and kind of alluding to, like you was talking about in Philly, uh, there's, there's a time and a moment that you got to figure out who you are. And I think Cam is kind of going through a little bit of that now, figuring out who he wants to be, you know, you know, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish in the league? Because, I mean, half the time we see him, he's looking like he's dressed like his grandmother, you know, coming out <laughs> to the podium, you know, with the little scarves and shit. I'm like, what the hell's going on? You know, look, if, if, look, if you want to be in a, a, a fashion aficionado, cool. I get no problem with that. Fashionista. That's, that's, yeah, that, that, look, that's, look, let that be your bag. I, I, I get that, right? But, you know, kind of promote yourself and, and, and then trying to be, you know, the guy at, at an organization may not necessarily be gelling at the same time the right way, especially in that organization anyway. Because I know Belichick is probably going crazy, like, what the fuck is this guy coming in? <laughs> He's, he's coming in with a damn, I don't know, four-piece suit and, and, and damn uh, all type of shit going on. I, I don't even know. He's, I, don't, he, he, I don't know, man. So I, I think part of it is just this identity he's he's kind of dealing with right now about who he is. Uh, so, I, you know, and everybody's saying that I don't think Cam is done. I, I really don't. Mm-hmm. I think if he gets in a, in, in a better situation, I think Cam could probably play for another, realistically, five years if he's in the right situation. And so sometimes it's going to take the same thing. It's, you know, finding a guy that's going to be able to bring it out of you, right? Mm-hmm. Who might say, hey, man, shit, hey, come on in here. My grandma dresses the same way you do. Like, shit, come on. Hell. Bruce Aarons right? is like, loan me one of those. I need a fucking thing to put my hair up in. I ain't got right. no hair, but I ain't going to wear it. Right. It's just like, this This is the place. Yeah, this, this is, is it. This is, this is what I'm looking for. <laughs> so, you know, and I've heard so many stories, you know, just with uh, with uh, New England, you know, about how Belichick is. And it didn't matter. He, he, would, he would just curse anybody out he didn't care who you were he, you know he just didn't give anybody that superstar status other than uh, tom and, oh really oh yeah because wow see because i've heard also too like even tom though like he was still just dream tom in meetings and whatnot as well nah so, he would uh like when we sat in meetings he would um uh like make a couple like just kind of smart ass comments but uh like i i remember we were out there and um fuck you know like there was uh uh, I think we were doing like an 11-11 pass and mm-hmm. one of like the young guys like after, the, you know, like obviously the fucking ball is gone, like still fighting, tried to get up there and fucking put his hand near him and uh, fuck man, Belichick fucking came unglued. Like, don't, you know, I'll fucking cut you on the field. Don't ever fucking get close to Tom. You'd fucking know who this is. I mean, it was like the kind of thing where I was like, hmm, man, uh, I guess we know who fucking, you know, is the breadwinner in this thing. Right, so, right. you know, he he had his little... uh 
you know, fucking, you know, sidekick who had like a, a you know, baseball counter and, you know, counted exactly yeah. how many throws Tom had. And as soon okay. as Tom was done, you know, they went nice. You know, I mean, they treated him just like he was, you know, if you, if you know anything about horse racing, there was a, a real famous stud named Stormcat. And he was about, I think, like 250, 300 grand a shot. And he would stud three times a day. And I went yeah. out and I got to see Stormcat and he had this like badass like track and they would play music and he had this like velvet ro- like sheet that he came on and they would prance him out. And as the whole time I was out there, I was like, man, fucking Tom Brady's like Stormcat. Like he Tomcat, Stormcat. Yeah. So it was uh, <laughs> there was definitely a feeling. I mean, but here's the thing. As you know, man, you played an organization long enough. I mean, he's been there for, you know, that the equipment guy who was the fucking kid sweeping up is now the head guy. And, yep. you know, Tom's been there that whole time and he's probably been giving that guy a hundred bucks every year. And then it got a little bit bigger and those dudes were, you know, running around kissing his ass. And I was like, well, I mean, it was like, I was in Eagles for five years and you just develop these relationships. I can't imagine being in a spot for 20 years right. and, um, right. you know, especially with as much success as they've had. And, uh, I, I, you know what, I really applaud Tom taking an opportunity to go to a new place and to almost be able to put a stamp and like I did it in the AFC with Belichick, I'm going to show up in the NFC and I'm going to fucking torch it. And dude, I, I think that just goes to show exactly how good he is. And when you start making the argument for the greatest of all time, I mean, it's pretty hard to not say, Hey man, that, that guy's the best to ever do it. And, uh, you know, came in with extremely lackluster, you know, like mm-hmm. no parade, for, or, or parade uh, fanfare comes into this organization. I mean, the whole thing and then just fucking torches it. And, um, you know, and, and had the opportunity to play with like, you know, Junior and like all these cats that were just, you know, rock stars. I'll tell you what, it, it's almost like uh, when I heard uh, uh, Pete Maravich, Pistol Pete, talk about uh, Larry Bird. Yeah. And he was just saying like, look, he said, listen, you know, when I played on the team with Larry, look, Larry wasn't the fastest. Right. He wasn't the smartest. He wasn't the best dribbler. You know, he, he wasn't the, the, the greatest leaper. He was just the greatest. And so I was just like, wow, that's. That, that, that sums it up right there. He's just like, he's just the greatest. So he had to be the, the best anything. You know, Tom's not the fastest guy. He didn't have the, the greatest song. You know, he, he's not going to, you know, burn you with, with all these different things. But he's just, he, right now, he's the greatest. He, he, he's, on, he's the pinnacle of what you're saying a great quarterback is and should be. And so, look, I, I'm, look, nostalgia takes me to, I always want to bring up, you know, Montana. Like, hey, you know what? I'm a Montana <laughs> fan, but see, what about Joe? Right? Yeah. But, I mean, look, Tom, for what he's done and his body of work, I mean, he, nobody can really contest, you know, what he seriously, what he's been able to achieve. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, kind of, uh, you know, let, let me ask you about this. So, so you said, you know, Bruce Aarons is, is, is more of a, uh, you know, players coach, right? So who, what do you think about all these guys that's coming in now that's getting head coaching jobs in their thirties? Uh, I don't fucking like it at all. I think like the, yeah, I don't think like McVeigh and those guys coming in. I mean, I know he's done all right. I, I just know as a, as a player, if all of a sudden some kid comes in who, you know, does, I mean, like it would be real weird to play for him, especially have him as a head coach and, mm-hmm. and, and to know what his pedigree is. I mean, like, I was, um, you know, like when Andy, like when I got drafted by Andy, I mean, um, you know, Andy was, you know, not only a homegrown guy, had coached Brett Favre, you know, coached their yes. tight ends, you know, came in and had this kind of pedigree. 
And, yeah. um, you know, if you look at like uh, McVay's pedigree, man, it's like his granddad was the GM for the Niners. He gets out of college, gets his first job. I mean, all this nepotism. And, yes. uh, you know, now he's a head, you know, head guy. And he's like, in, he's in his like mid thirties. I mean, he's younger than us. Like, how do yeah. you go in there and motivate these guys? Not that you need to be old to do it, but right. man, I, I just wonder uh, if that job well, I'll, I'll tell you this. My um, my wife and I were talking about this. We're like, you know, we saw this rash of coaches hired, and you know, Steve Sarkeesian's over here at uh, at Texas at UT, and you know, he played. I, I played against him in high school, know him. And my wife's like, uh, you know, did you ever think about getting into coaching, especially on that level? She's like, you could have gotten into that. And she's like, uh, you know, this is something you could have done. I'm like, and I would have hated my life every single fucking day uh, to be a head coach and to deal with that nonsense and you know, managing all this stuff. I'm like, dude, those guys get that job. And uh, they never see their families again. Like, look at what happened with Andy yeah. and Philly. I mean, you know, look at um, um, uh, Camille when he yeah. first got in. Same thing with Camille. We talk about like, yeah. you know, he, he was just so committed to you know Football. getting the team better. He sleep on a couch. You would never see his, his family. And, yeah. and I think he, he changed once he got to Kansas City because he wanted to make it more of a family environment. Yeah. That's why we got bring yeah, guys. You remember old balls saying, "Say, uh, kiss your wives goodbye" at the beginning of the season. You ain't going to see him for the right. You remember that whole thing? Yeah, I did. Like, yeah. Uh, like so, it it's such a weird thing where, like the, uh, you know, the investments. Obviously, I mean, it's high stakes. It, it, you know, this and maybe it does take a younger guy who's you know can you know stay up twenty hours and maybe these old guys don't have the uh, have the chops. But I got a feeling that if you're going to play with a bunch of veterans and you're going to stand up there in front of a bunch of dudes who are generally considered some of the baddest fucking human beings on the planet, it really helps to have, you know, that pedigree in your back pocket to be like, man, like, I mean, I, I'll tell you this. I mean, uh, Ron, Ron Rivera, I mean, dude, Ron was oh, our uh, linebackers coach in Philly, you know, goes on and now he's head coach, not only in, um, you know, the, uh, the Panthers, but also now at the Washington football club. But, Ron was a beast. I mean, he played opposite, you know, Mike Singletary on those Super Bowl yeah. teams. Right. And uh, right. I, I think that there is, you know, when you play at that level, it's, re, you know, that's a, a level of credibility that you can't purchase and nobody can fucking give you. And maybe right. it doesn't matter to these young guys because maybe they don't know. But like for me as a player, shit, mm -hmm. if all of a sudden somebody who's done that job comes in and it's a it's a lot different than listening to some guy who doesn't fucking know, you know, has never strapped it up a single day. Right. Right. What do you think about it? You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm right with you in the same mind, you know, because I, I just don't think, you know, sometimes, and, and I think part of it is, you know, cause I'm, I'm always trying to at least, you know, how do I make sense of this? You know, you know, what, what is, what would the organization be thinking? So I'm thinking one is it's longevity, right? If we get a young guy in and starts winning, we can keep him along around for a longer time. Okay. Uh, but two, if you think about somebody who's coming in bringing him in from college, you're like, we have a young team. Okay. He can relate because, you know, they're really just getting out of college. They haven't quite become professional. So they're still in that young mind and he can kind of relate to those guys, you know, more because they're kind of in their frame of not being a veteran. Right. Now, if you have a veteran team, you got to bring in a veteran coach. Right. I mean, yeah. it, and like you said, I, it just wouldn't work with me. If, if I have a guy that's, that's sitting over here uh, and I'll give you a case in point. So when I was in, when, in Philly, when I first started there, John Gruden was the offensive coordinator. Yeah. And so I remember John was sitting up in front and he was just kind of fussing at everybody on offense. And I remember uh, Richard Cooper. Oh, yeah. And and Rich said. Uh, I heard the story. Hey, yeah. Rich was like, man, look, man, fuck this guy. I was like, what are you talking? He's like, man, this dude used to be the, like a fucking uh, towel boy back in, the, you know, at Tennessee, University of Tennessee for us. Yeah. You know, he was throwing jock straps and stuff in his face. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. It's like, man, fuck this shit. 
and it was it was kind of you, you could hear like the two minds when he would get up and like you said pontificate about all the things he's done and oh why is this guy in here this is like hey this shit to earn you know being up here to talk this way and i remember Irvin fryer uh john gruden said something to me out in practice he cursed Irvin, and Irvin was a, a was a minister at the time yeah yeah that was the first time i ever heard Irvin fryer curse and he said something to Irv, and Irv was like, what'd you say? And Irv came back, and everybody was trying to hurt Irv back, and his son was there as a, as a bar boy. Irv was like, man, look. He said, man, I tell you what, don't you ever talk to me that way ever again. And I'm telling you, he said, matter of fact, I'm going home. So Irv took his helmet off, grabbed his son, said, come on, Landon, and left. All because of what John Gruden said. Just from practice, I was like, oh, shit. And so it was like those guys, the older guys, just didn't really have a respect for him like he was trying to earn, or at least what he was trying to do, just by belittling guys, and, and guys just wouldn't have it. Yeah. He wouldn't have it. So, so now that, like I said, the dynamic is when you bring a younger guy in, and, and maybe you know Patrick Mahomes, who just came out, you know, a couple of years, or whatnot. Hey, here's your here's Kingsbury or whatever. He, here he is, and you know, get a little uh, you know rapport with him. But like the older team, I, I don't see that happening. And I'm, I'm like you, man. I'm, if I'm sitting over in the in, in in the seats and you know for meetings. I'm gonna be like, man, fuck, man, what is this guy talking about? He yeah. he has no idea, you know, what it means to do all these things, and he's trying to come with this, you know, rah rah type of deal. Uh, but man, come on, look, 35. I mean, we there's guys out here who's been doing it for a long time that deserve shots, right? Like you said, Eric B. Enemy. Yeah, and I remember yeah. Eric was uh, matter of fact, I was the one that took Eric uh, from the airport <laughs> and, and back, uh, and, and you know, we just kind of talk, and I see Eric, yeah. you know, maybe every year at the uh, coach convention we just kind of talk about that but i mean eric deserves it yeah during this time he, i mean he really does I mean, he, and so he does deuce staley i mean uh dude, oh my god dude, uh, dude i'm a fuck man i blocked a lot with deuce i mean i believe me i sat back and and knocked back a lot of drinks over a lot of years and ate a lot of dinners with deuce staley every every thursday right. night man mm-hmm. there there was steven star had all these restaurants in philly and yeah. uh we ended up meeting like his assistant and we would give her tickets and in exchange uh, we would go to dinner at one of his restaurants every Thursday night. Me and Ducey would roll in. We'd hit sushi. We'd do this, Budokan, the whole nine. And, mm-hmm. uh, man, um, I was blown away when, you know, Doug Peterson was our, our uh, um, quarterback my rookie quarterback. year. Yep. So Doug peels out, and they got an opportunity to bring in Ducey, and they bring in some dude who's 38 years old. And I'm like, man, you pass over Eric Bieniemy and Deuce and to Deuce. bring in some other guy? I, I was like, who the fuck is this hire? Right. And, uh, you know, Philly's a rough town, but I'll tell you, like, um, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you're going to laugh at this. You remember fucking the shit that Vrabel used to talk to Tony? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. You remember how mad Tony get? So so when I went to, uh, uh, you know, New England, I used to hang with Vrabel a bunch and I uh, always liked him. And, dude, I, he used to he's like, man, I could get in Tony's head and would talk shit to him. He's like, I, I would wait the entire year to play you guys to literally get inside Tony's head. <laughs> and uh, but, you know, I mean, he's gone down to Tennessee. I mean, dude, he went to Ohio State. He came in and like, I mean, he's a dude that can stand up in front of a room. I mean, played yes. the game at a high level, you know, has coached. I mean, you know, he gets, you know, he got fast tracked as a head coach, can stand up there. And there's nobody in that room, even though he's probably in his he's older than me. So he's got to be in his you know mid to late 40s. But he stands up there and he's earned this deal. It's not only has he played in Super Bowls, has won them, played for Belichick, you know, mm-hmm. has all this history, has played, you know, I mean, that's a guy where I look at and I'm like, okay, there's a young, you know, a youngish dude yes. who yeah. th- like that's the that's the youngest guy or, or, or that guy comes in. I'd be like, fuck, man, I play for Vrabel. I, I think he's a fucking 
asshole and uh, love to play for him uh, just because yeah. I know the way he played the game and I know his intensity and I know his level of commitment and I know how he does it. When I look at a dude like McVeigh, I'm like, ah, I just don't get that. And he's been successful. I mean, you know, they've won some games here and there. But I think when uh, when things are really, really getting to that desperate spot, and J.D., you know what I'm talking about. We're like, fuck, man. You know, we just lost three in a row. And, you know, you start looking around. People start disappearing. Everybody's fucking looking at you. Like, you need somebody that's been like, dude, we're going to weather this storm. This is, And how do I know? Because I've fucking done this. Right. Absolutely. 100%, man. Agree with you. I mean, and, and the thing is, like you said, when we have, like I said, Kingsbury and McVeigh and, you know, the guy there with uh, with uh, Aaron Rodgers, same thing, you know, because when he first came in, it's just like, okay, Aaron's like, what, what do you, what do you give me now? Right. I mean, get rid of this guy who was, who was a, was a douchebag, goes down there and it's just the bed with, uh, with Dallas. Right. It, it just, you know, he just wasn't that great, you know, as a coach. Uh, but now you bring this young guy in who, who's contesting, Aaron and everything he wants to do. Aaron's like, look, same thing. I'm calling my own plays. They, they allow me to do this for the past five years. Now all of a sudden you come in and, no, you can't run that play. What do you mean? I'm, I'm Aaron Rodgers. You know, yeah. it has been working. You know, how about you, you know, mold yourself and your style around me, right? Mm-hmm. I'm the face of the organization, not you. And I, I get, look, we, we can have a relationship that it works for, for, for both of us. But it's just, I, I think it's just so hard you know, when you have a young guy like that trying to come in and command the type of respect that 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 he's needed to, to be in a locker room. Uh, but Vrabel, absolutely, man. I, like like Vrabel is a guy, like you said, who has that 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 history behind him. He has that, you know, Super Bowls, all those different things, the accolades. This is a guy I could I could come in and play with. Yeah. Matter of fact, Vrabel's gonna be the kind the kind of dude that's gonna sit back and have a drink with you, right? Yeah. And tell you all the 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 the, the, the stories that you <laughs> That going to war and all those different things. Well, shit, who, who, what, what's Clint coming? Coming? What's he going to talk about? I mean, honestly, what's the conversation going to be? Uh, and yeah. and you know, man, the NFL is so interesting. Like, uh, you know, I, I remember when uh, uh, Tony went to Atlanta. He called me and he's like, "Dude, it's so different." He's like, "These young guys, like, you know, it, it's such a different generation." I didn't realize. You know, like I'm, I'm having these guys come up and ask me for autographs because they watched me when they were little kids and they have my jersey. And he's like, it's kind of an interesting thing. Like you get to the, you know, almost age out of this deal a little bit. But it's uh, I think for those young guys, maybe it's 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 different. Maybe they look at it and it's like, you know, youth is the way to go. And maybe that buys in. Whereas, you know, if you're a 10 year vet and they bring in some 32 year old kid, I'd be like, man, uh, I'm older than this dude. And this guy's the head coach and he's going to get out there like like what has he done? And, um, yeah. you know, I, I played for a lot of coaches, and I know you did too, that, you know, didn't really, ever, you know, never strapped it up in the NFL, didn't really play college. And you're like, how the fuck did you get this job? But then you played for, uh, with other people and had other coaches where you were like, man, this dude was a killer. Like, I respect this dude. And, I'm, and it was both ways. So it's, uh, it's but maybe we're aging ourselves. Maybe it's different today. Maybe that kind of like mentality doesn't exist in this kinder and gentler NFL. Because you know, man, like after that last CBA, like there's a, I mean, dude, quarterbacks didn't play 10 years. You know why? Because they fucking took hits. Like to have yeah. a quarterback like Tom play 20 years at this level, dude, mm-hmm. uh, like look at Aikman. Like he's on TV and you know he's still fucked up. I mean, look oh, yeah. at like, I mean, dude, uh, as you know, man, 10 years in the meat grinder, uh, you know, if somebody, and, and you know, and, and you know the deal. I mean, it's a, I think like in the last 25 years, Troy Vincent told me it was like, 
you know, uh, 25,000 dudes that played in the NFL. It was like just around a grand played longer than four years. And when you go up to like 10 years, it's yeah. like a few hundred. And the crazy part is we can name them all. And you start going through the names and you're like, oh, yeah, I know all these dudes. And yeah. it's, it, it's such a small, small fraternity of individuals that are able to do it that long because the the violence and the physicality. I mean, playing on the vet fucking ended people's careers, almost ended mine. I mean, we're painting on painting concrete in that motherfucker. And like, you know, uh, going in to play for Dick for meal, we're doing two, three hour padded practices, nine on seven, one on one run drill, inside run nine on seven, 11 on 11 pass drill, one on one pass pro fucking short yardage. I mean, you have three hours and you're doing that twice a day for, for four or five weeks in training camp. I remember when fucking preseason started, I was like, Oh, thank God. This dude's about to beat the brakes off of everybody. And, um, you know, and now they're like, oh, you can only have four padded practices in an entire uh, preseason. And now yeah, it's like, like seven over eight, the course of or eight, eight in the year. Yeah. Yeah. Eight in the year. So they can dude. Can you imagine That's eight padded great. practices over the entire year? They're in shells. They're doing walkthroughs. I mean, yeah. as you know, dude, the games were physical. It was fine. It was the fucking yeah. practice. I mean, I remember lining up against Eric Hicks on a mm-hmm. Wednesday and uh, like giving myself a concussion. And like to, to the point where like on Sunday when we lined up, I was like, man, uh, how you feeling? He's like, don't hit me. I think I'm hurt. And like we had fucking both concussed ourselves. And on Sunday when we got in to do our like little warm up pregame shit, mm-hmm. he's like, yeah. dude, uh, like, let's take it easy, man. I fucking think. And I'm like, dude, I got a concussion. I'm fucked up. And uh, the coaches came over like, you guys need to get fired up. I'm like, he's dinged and so am I. Shut the fuck up. And uh, like, but that level that that of that physicality, I mean, the people and the way it was played and, you know, shit, it, it just, uh, they had to do something. And, you know, like, um, you know, when people ask me like, oh, did it change? I'm like, it had to. I mean, shit, man. Like, I remember I didn't, I, I was an alternate for the Pro Bowl. I didn't get to go. Uh, it was bullshit. So Donovan and all those dudes, Hugh Douglas and them there basically paid for me to go to the Pro Bowl. And it was me and Junior. Fucking Junior saw me and we saddled up and he that motherfucker drank me under the table every night to three or four a.m. And I remember one night I got up and went out on the balcony to throw up at like five a.m. And I look yeah. out and Junior's running on the beach. And I know he drank more drinks than me. And so like I just thought he was a superhuman. And, you know, and then all of a sudden you get a situation where these dudes are shooting themselves in the chest with a note, like I shot myself in the chest so you can analyze my brain. And you know that this shit's happening and they had to make a change. I mean, like, it's kind of a, a bittersweet thing. Like, I'm glad I played in that era, but it took a lot of bad shit to happen for them to change the game and to make it kind of safer. I mean, you know, to redo the helmets and, you know, protect the quarterbacks. I mean, they got, you know, $500 million in Mahomes. Shit, you think they're going to let some fucking defensive end come around and put their helmet in his back? No. Yeah, no. So, no, I mean, no. they had to make a change. I get that. But it's uh, it, when I watch it, the level, man, and maybe this is just fucking aging myself. Like, I don't see the same level of violence that I saw. Oh, no, no, it, it's not not even close to it. You know, and a lot of it is, you know, I mean, you, you know what you practice like you're going to play like. Right. And so if you send there eight padded practices. Um, I mean, th- there's no way, you know, the game could be as physical as it was back then. And so, like you said. You know, I, I just remember, and I, I put in, you know, say 11, you know, 12, you know, that year being hurt. I, I, I had to tell you, the way that guys could tee off on you at practice, same thing, like, it, it, it just, you know, for like a tight end. I remember when I first got to Philly, you know, we had safeties would just lighten us up. I mean, just, I'm talking about just laying us out. I mean, just straight under the chin and, you know, guys would get up and it was just like, 
shit. But that was part of like being in the NFL. That's yeah. that was you know like your badge of honor, you know, to be hurt. And so when I tell people like, man, I have a, a, a medical book about this thick <laughs> of injuries, right? Yeah. And so like the the second time I that was like my second uh, knee injury, uh, John, when uh, when I got released up there in Philly. So you know we're talking about two two knee surgeries. We're going to go out to Kansas City. And I, you know, I had dislocated elbow, you know, clavicle, uh, dislocated. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about 2006, the year 2006. I was probably getting about an hour and a half of sleep a night. And every week I was on the whole, like, you know, that list of, man, you, you think you're going to be able to go? You think I'm going to be able to go? I'm like, shit. I mean, let me go ahead and just tour it all in me, right? <laughs> on the vitamin T. <laughs> And, and massage uh, everything. I, I, not to cut you off, but I've told these guys yeah. the stories about going in to take a shower and everybody's got the same Band-Aid on their ass. And, <laughs> like, uh, just laughing because, you know, everybody's got it. And, like, um, for those of you guys who don't know, Tordal is an injectable anti-inflammatory. I don't think they give it anymore. Maybe they do. Who knows? But um, what, what, would, what would happen is you'd get so bruised and your hands would get so beat up and you'd just be fucked. And then you'd go in, like, before pregame and they give you this shot and it was like, oh, shit, some motherfucker's going to catch it today. Yeah. And I would wait. Yeah. I would wait yeah. until as like far into the season as I could. And I remember I'd get to the point where I couldn't make fists anymore. And I'd be like, oh, it's time. And then everybody would be like, you, you talk to me, like, what do you think? They'd be like, it's time. It's time. And everybody would go in and get it done. And then, but it was hilarious. You'd see dudes in like the preseason getting toward all shots. I'd be like, dude, you, you can't get a toward all shot in the preseason, man. You, 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 you ain't going to last. Right, right. And, and I, I just remember the doctors sitting there telling me, look, Jason, you know, we want to make sure, keep taking, you know, when, when you're getting blood work, because I want to make sure that, you know, you're not, your, li- your liver and, and kidneys not being damaged with the medication that you're taking, uh, you know, says a lot about, you know, what the, the level of, uh, oh, man, if. if well, uh, they know it's fucked up and they know that it's really yeah, on, the, on, on the far they side do. of that when they're like, hey, we got to get your blood work done twice a month just to make sure right. we're not fucking fucking you up by pu- pumping you full of a bunch of shit. Yeah. And, and, and of course, when you're young, you're, all you're thinking about is just playing. Right. Yeah. Look, I just want to get out there on the field. I just want to go out and, and just do my thing and show what I can do. But then all of a sudden, when you sit there, you know, the residual effects of it later on down the road, like you said, CTE and, you know, guys shooting themselves and, you know, having, you know, uh, you know, memory loss and all, all type of things that's going on, neurological effects. I mean, it, you know, they had to change the game. And and, and thank God they did. I'll yeah. say that. You know, it's, it's just, I guess, like you, I'm like, damn, I wish I had that. I, I, I wish I was able to. <laughs> You know, it, it, uh, yeah. be in club med every time and, and, and go out and shell every, yeah. every every single year. I ought to play for 20 years. Yeah. 20 years. Yeah. But, but, yeah. but also, too, the reality is, you know, because the contracts uh, in itself are so big yeah. and so lucrative that you don't have to play for 10 to 20 years, right? Yeah. And the guys can do shit, six, and be done. Two contracts. Yeah. Hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm yeah. best the rest of this. And I could I could just sit back on my laws and 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 have a great life. Uh, so that's that's part of it too. But you know when when we see this man and I see guys and and it's always great to kind of and, and I know you like this as well. So like when I see you and I'm talking to you, I'm always looking at you. You know your speech, how's he doing? You know yeah. and, and I mean you, you know you always been a, a a smart guy anyway. Tip Berkeley, right? <laughs> it's always John. John was always like that. That that a pretty, you know, uh, uh, brain tells you that, huh? Wearing turtlenecks. I didn't wear a turtleneck. Oh yeah, and, and the glasses. You know the, you know. The... <laughs> <laughs> but, 
Well, I, but, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, no, uh, JD, I, I do the same things, man. Like, like when I run into players and guys I played with, you're always kind of watching a little bit, like how's he, you know, responding? Mm-hmm. Is he still lucid? How, you know? Yes. And I realized, and um, I realized two things. One, um, and this is just purely observation. There's no research to support this, so don't fucking hit me up and ask me for it. But it was really interesting that the guys that seemed to take the most amount of painkillers seem yeah. to be having the most amount of problems today. And I, I really wonder if there was something within, like, you know, the acetaminophen or, or any of the drugs that was, like, destroying stomach lining, which, you know, there's the same the pain receptors in the brain that are in the gut. So who yes. knows in terms of what's going on there. Um, you know, also the, the ability to, like, manage pain, and, and that was a really interesting one. And then also what they do in post-life. You get out, and it's like, man, if you're not useful, you become useless real fucking quick. So you yes. either got to get into something that forces you to wake up every day and fight new wars and battles and train and do everything. Or, you know, I mean, fuck. Like my dad told me years ago, man, uh, uh, the quickest path to the grave is retirement. He said, you know, he, he was a practicing attorney for 80 plus, you know, 50 years and made it into his 80s. Um, but he talked about all the time that, you know, judges and lawyer friends would retire and they were all dead within two years. And I think with a lot of NFL players, because they're so used to a regimented life and training and, you know, going here and, you know, being in the limelight and, you know, people, you know, depending on you, that all of a sudden, you know, when that ends and when it ends, it's fucking abrupt. Like you've built your entire life. This is all you've ever really done. And now, you know what? Shut the door. See you outside. Here's your box. Go fuck off. And, uh, you know, the people that are able to rally and find purpose early uh, tend to the people that tend to do better and the people that don't that fuck around and do things and you know here and you know all of a sudden do this and this they just tend to like when you see him and you're like fuck man this guy and and it's scary for me and i just like it's scary for you that's kind of why uh when i saw you and especially when i was seeing some of the guys at tony's deal i was like like uh you know probably some of those tears were just a fear or tears of relief that like Fuck man, like I, I'm, I'm so scared to like run into ex friends and players and didn't be like, man, this dude's fucked up. Like we got to help this dude. And so when I saw you, I was like, man, like JD's doing good. And you were like, man, I was, I, lo- I got myself heavy, but I knew I was going to see you, so I had to lose weight. <laughs> or I knew you were going to ride me. And dude, when you said that, I was like, yes. Even, even years later, I haven't seen you. You still know that I'm going to fucking talk right. some shit and get into it. And and you know what? The pride about you to. Uh, to do that was like, like when I saw your girl, man, she was just like, Oh, it's so good to see you. JD was real nervous. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, look, I know John is lean, man. I've been, you know, kind of checking out, you know, here and there, you know, you just see things here. And there. I'm just like, man, you know, well, boy, man, I know he's going to be put together, but that, you know, that's my guy. Uh, and, and, and I'll tell you what, uh, that is so true as far as, you know, guys, you know, but when you, when you define yourself, as a particular thing, I think that's that's part of the problem. You know, when you put yourself in a box, young, and, I, and I'll say this for myself, probably the greatest thing that ever happened to me, John, was when I got cut from Philly, because I had to deal with all those things early, of like actually saying shit, like I'm out on the street, like I'm I'm not playing, and so I had to go through that whole like you know depression state of like man, you know what, I'm, you know I'm a failure, you know I have you know second round pick, you know, it was the first tight end post coming out in the draft, like all those things, right? The, the pressure on my shoulders was just so great. It was, it, it really was. And I didn't know who I was and I had to find myself because I had molded myself with thinking that this is who I had to be being a, a professional football player, right? 
because all, all the, it's, the, it's the glory of it. You know, it's, it's, it's getting all the cars, the girls, the women, and all those different things. And then once all those things are gone, right, the fans are not cheering for you anymore. You start really starting evaluating who you are. Um, it, it I, I had to, to really come to grips about what I wanted to do in life and who I made myself to be and who, who, who I was. And I just realized at that point, it took me almost an entire year. I'm, I'm going to tell you that that year that I got cut, I couldn't watch football at all, like on TV at all, college, NFL, nothing. I, I just wouldn't even turn on the, t- you know, the TV for any of that, you know, because I was just so angry, angry and, you, you know, just disappointed kind of in myself, but the, the organization, just everything. Right. You know, and and so what I did was I did some, some real heavy soul searching. And from that point, you know, I'm just like, you know what? Football was just something that I did. You know, I've always been Jason Dunn. And, I, and the thing is, I had such a, a great support group. So I'm the youngest out of 11 children. Yeah. And so I'll, it was always like, you know, my old brothers and sisters were always doing things that, you know, always kept with me. So that support group was so uh, uh, extensive that I, I could, you know, I could go to them. And it was always like, look, you, you know, we was always Jason. You know, football would never define you. We didn't love you because you played football. We loved you because you was our little brother. You know, we loved you because you was Jason. And so getting back to those roots and understanding that, I remember, and this is part of, like, too, my, my faith came a lot stronger. You know, God just kind of knocked on my door in my life as well, that I was just like, look, you know what? If I get another chance to do this, I'm not going to take it for granted. Because I'm going to tell you what, man, when I was in Philly, man, I, I'm, I'm beyond, I was miserable. I was miserable. And I don't know if you remember this or not, we had seen each other at uh, Disney. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. It was at Disney, and, and I seen, I was like, and I'm like, when my kids, I'm like, man, I know this guy. Yeah. You know, John's sticking out, you know, of course, it's like he's in the, he's in the, you know, you got the line, you know, just going to the ride and John's up here with everybody else. And I'm like, oh, shit, this guy's not going to fit. <laughs> well, we, uh, so, so I lived in Tampa and we would, uh, you know, Raphael, who I trained with, uh, he loved to go to downtown Disney. So we, we would go there and play video games, go, and we would always go, but we'd always go when it was real hot because uh, Roth liked to see people from the, the Midwest people yeah just get fucking slaughtered he'd be like man let's go let's go see some Midwest people get fucking murdered today it's gonna be like a hundred and so uh because like the lines were short and uh yeah and I, I, I ran into Jason who was there with his crew yeah that's right yeah and I was like man well born oh my shit you know, it was just so great to see and so I you know during that time man it, I just I had to you know kind of get my passion back you know the love of the game and just realize like football wasn't that that defined me, right? It was something that I played. And after that point, I, I just never took any other snap for granted. I, I just didn't. And so when I came out, the same thing was just, you know, having fun. Cause I'm like, shit, man, like, yeah, let's have fun. Here, while we're here, we might as well, you know, try to, you know, murder some guys and, you know, it's part of the deal, right? Like, hell, just go at it. Who's to know what's gonna happen tomorrow? And so I just took that attitude when I got to Kansas City and I just, I, I wrote it for everything that I could. And Part of it was I was able to kind of go out on my own terms because once, you know, Kansas City was, you know, they was done with me, right? As, as teams do, we're, oh, well, we're done with you. We throw you away and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, hey, you know, appreciate it. Thank you. You know, you write the little letter that, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, <laughs> gracious for everything that you show me, what you're giving me. I had opportunities to go other places. And so Sean Payton was down at, you know, uh, New Orleans. And Sean was the quarterback coach when I was in Philly. Uh, I think before you got there, was, was, was Sean there when you was Mm-mm. up there? No, he wasn't. 
Okay, so Sean was uh, was quarterback coach when I was in, in in Philly, so I knew Sean from that you know relationship. And you know, you kind of see guys. Sean was down there, Joe Vitt, all the guys that mm-hmm. coached in Philly. Sean brought me down to the stat. So Sean was like, "Yo, Jason, man, look, I need for you to get down here." So when Shockey was down there, he's like, "Look, Shockey will work well with you." Just like you and Tony was doing it, like come down, show this guy how to be a you know a pro and this and that. So he actually gave me a chance like two years in a row. And I was like, Sean, man, look, look I've, I've, I've been in this thing for 12 years. I'm at a great place in my life. I really am. Look, I, I'm, I'm here to be dad. I got four children. I'm here to be home now, you know, and, and they miss me. The most important thing in my life right now is them. So I want to make sure that I'm doing right by them because I didn't have that, the relationships, them flying back and forth in Kansas City just wasn't the way to, you know, to, to parent. Sure. And so I knew that that was my, my duty, you know, as a father, be home with them and so i just once i got back this way that was part of my thing of just knowing that i didn't have to be the football player so it wasn't like i was down in the dumps at that time i already went through it yeah so my transition out of the game was like hey shit like i'm got do you miss it i'm like you know what i miss i miss sundays yeah i miss playing the game everything else leading up to that they could have they could keep that shit yeah and i miss the locker room miss the guys you know what i'm saying i mean shit like i said man john when i see guys you know that 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 you just happy to see every day. Like John was one of those guys that you just happy to see that face every single day, you know, that just make you happy. And so those relationships that you 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 develop during that time and playing is the things that you just cherish and you just, you know, hold on to. And that's, you know, that's why you stay in contact. You see guys, it's always that, you know, that love feeling. And so all that other aspect of it is, you know, they can have Sundays and, and the locker room is what I miss. Yeah, no, I, uh, I always joked, man, that they paid me to practice. Uh, I, I played for the games for free. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- th- that was the best part right. of it. Um, man, the uh, it was really weird. When I, I, I left Kansas City and went to New England, uh, I got hurt in the last preseason game. Well, I, I fucked my knee up before that. And uh, I chipped off a piece of bone in my knee, and it got lodged in the joint. And it happened, shit, like, uh, like two weeks into practice. And I felt like this crunch. And I went mm-hmm. in, and I just, you know, shit fucking 10 years what do you mean i'm not going to fucking say anything i'll make this team and if if it's fucking me up after i get you know after the first game i'm vested then i'll say something and so i just kind of struggled through it and um yeah man like all of a sudden that last preseason game uh i was out and some fucking guy gets hurt in like the fourth quarter and you know like i you know even though uh you know these guys are older or i'm you know of the same age as these guys i'm all you know i'm kind of young guy on the or little man on the totem pole because i'm new yeah and, you know, uh, the, the other guy was supposed to go in was fucking hurt and his back, you know, and they're looking around and I'm like, oh, fuck, I got to go back in. So I go back in in like the fourth quarter in the last preseason game. Jeez. And I've been sitting around since fucking the end of the first quarter, mm-hmm. you know, fucking cold, had my pads undone, tape off my hands, fucking go back in. And I take a step, man. I hear this crunch and I uh, fucking literally like piece of bone or carotid bone, something, some osteophyte fucking chips off my knee, gets stuck in the joint. And I get up and I'm doing like, and I pop it out of the joint. I'm like, oh, fuck. And uh, so I come off and, um, you know, we were flying, we were flying back. And like, I had this interesting feeling where I was like, man, uh, I've always had this nervous feeling flying back. Like, um, hey, you know, we got this whole season coming up. And I kind of had this like kind of calm feeling where I was like, uh, ooh, this is kind of a weird one. Like, why aren't I more nervous? And then sure enough, like one minute before four o'clock, I got a call. Hey, come on in. And they were like, hey, man, we got to release you today, but stay around. We're going to resign you tomorrow on a roster move. So they called me back the next day. I go in there, put me through the physical. And uh, the dude's like, your knee's fucked up. What happened? And I told him, he's like, why don't you say something? I'm like, I've never been cut before. 
I started yeah. every game in my NFL career that I was healthy for. I mean, I'm a 10 year mm-hmm. starter. Yeah. So like, why would I say anything? And at that point they were like, you know, fucking kick rocks. And I flew home, had knee surgery and, uh, you know, was going through the rehab process thinking like, Hey man, I'll, I'll come back. You know, shit, man. I, I got scoped on a Monday and played on a Sunday. And all of a sudden, like my knee is swollen. Like they did the scope, they cleaned it up. I'm doing the rehab. Like I can't, like my knee's still packing heat, swollen. I can't yeah. fucking get it to come back. And, uh, teams are calling, teams are calling. Uh, I'm just not ready. I can't run. I can't do anything. I'm still, still rehabbing. And it wasn't until like a full year later that I had to go in for another surgery. I went up and saw Stedman where they basically had to go in and clean out all this. Like, uh, it was just like the doctor was way too aggressive. So there was just way too much inflammation and shit goes in and cleans it up. And then like three months after that, I was fine, but I had missed that whole year. And then at that point, you know, the agent's like, what do you think? And I'm like, fuck man. So I get hurt in my 10th. I missed my 11th. What am I going to do? Come back in my 12th year? And yeah. now, you know, and fucking make a comeback. And I'm like, come on, dude. Like, I, you know, I need to go do something else. And I was already doing something. I mean, I'd been reached out by CrossFit. We were teaching seminars, you know, traveling the world, kind of doing that. But it was, uh, it was really, really hard for me to watch football. And because of it, uh, like, uh, you know, Tony invited me out to Atlanta to go see his last game. And I didn't go and, uh, you know, did some shit. Like, not because I didn't want to support him, but yeah, uh, yeah. I fucking wasn't okay with the way it ended. And it yeah. took me a number of years to like lose that anger and that, and to be able to turn on TV again and be able to watch football and to be able to watch it with my kids and my wife and talk about it. Um, because, um, uh, like I think when you pour yourself into something with that much passion and you're able yeah. to do it at such a high level and to compete on that biggest stage and fucking run out there and like, you know, basically Jolly Green Giants walking the earth, stomping on these people and like living that. And like, you, you know me, dude, I, I never got caught up in the, you know, NFL fans, all that other bullshit. Like, you know, right. I would still go do it if it was in a fucking parking lot, right, um, right. you know, and, and like what I loved was lining up next to my friends going out there, putting in work, fucking crushing people and training. And like, you know, that surgical thing of being able to go out and put it all together and kick ass. And then all of a sudden you don't get to do that anymore. You know, you don't get to go hang out with your friends and fuck people up and go to a training facility. And and like, you know, the money aside, like it just, that kind of pulling people out of like this thing that like, you know, uh, was so, so much fucking fun. Like, mm-hmm. like the work, like, and, and, you know, uh, it, it was almost an interesting thing. And I had this realization a couple of years ago, I almost never let myself like it. And I never let myself really be happy because mm-hmm. I was so afraid that they were going to take it away from me. And then I would be crushed. It's kind of like, um, you know, like as a kid, you get a present and you're like, I don't really like this present because if it breaks or mom takes it from me, I don't really want to feel bad about losing it. Right. And, right. uh, that was a huge fucking realization in my life that I, I lived in this and like, that's like, it was a terrible way to live. And, um, you know, like it took me a couple years, like kind of like sitting back, like watching it, watching with my wife and my kids. My wife's a huge football fan and just Mm -hmm. sitting down and watching it. And then like seeing the players and seeing this and then like, you know, really the, uh, um, you know, I didn't go to Will's hall of fame. Um, but then going to Tony's and actually sitting there seeing Tony and he thanked, you know, and that was cool that he mentioned us seeing you and, and, uh, and the guys and Trent and everybody. And it was like, uh, it almost like that moment was like a cap for me where I was like, okay, like I'm okay to move forward with this. And it was such a weird feeling because, um, 
Like, like, like you said, like you miss the Sunday game, you miss the camaraderie, you miss all that stuff. And there's all this baggage and bullshit. But like on just the simplest level, the fact that we got paid exorbitant amounts of money to go out and fucking beat wholesale ass for three hours every Sunday in front of millions of people. And you got 70 chances to know exactly how good and bad you are on the greatest stage with the fucking baddest humans. And uh, that was addictive. Like, I, I, I mean... I used to think, uh, it's funny, um, you know, when the gladiators would go out into the Coliseum, they would, you know, stand up and say, Ave Cesar Moritori Te Salutant, which is, Hail Caesar, those of us about to die salute you. And like that feeling of standing out there on the grass in front of, you know, th- you know 100,000 people and, you know, millions all, all around the world and just making it about this one-on-one battle against the baddest dudes and to know exactly like, hey, man, my boys are going to show up and we're going to fucking whoop this dude's ass in front of these people or in an alley somewhere. You know, we're walking through the favelas in fucking Brazil. And you know this, like we were literally midnight favelas, the most dangerous place in the world. And we're walking down the middle of the fucking street for miles. Like we walked from the Samba schools all the way back to Copacabana, Ipanema Beach, which is miles through the fucking worst part of Brazil. And nobody fucking said a word to us. We were like, this is the safest place on the planet. We were literally like jolly green giants walking the earth. And they were like, man, we don't want any part of these dudes. And yeah. like, and, and I think all of a sudden, you know, that gets snatched away from you. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody who's never played the game, never strapped it up, gets to make a personnel decision that you don't get to do what you love to do with your friends. And yeah. that wow. was fucking hard to swallow for me because I'm like, man, I should say when it's done. Not when these motherfuckers say when it's done. And then right. you're like, well, fuck, you know, these guys are making a business decision because I have an injury and I know my knee's fucked up, um, you know, and it's like, fuck, like it, it just takes time, like, because I think, um, you, you know, it, it like, you know, like, fuck, man, like, I, you know, I don't know what it's like, it, uh, no, I can relate it to, but, you know, I mean, you know, like losing a parent or, you know, losing a child or, you know, loved one or something, like you still have those fond memories and over time, you understand that this is the course of it, but it doesn't make it any better. And then, you know, all of a sudden, shit, here we are 10 years later, 10 plus years later. And it's like, shit, man, like, uh, I'm okay to sit there and watch with my kids and talk about it and this whole deal. But man, there was a couple of years there where, shit, man, I would, uh, if, if I walked into a place and the football was on, I would walk out. Uh, I didn't watch it on Sundays. I'd go fucking lift weights. I'd do anything. I'd go to the beach. We'd travel, I'd get in the car just so I didn't have to hear it, just because it was just a reminder that I didn't get to cap it the way that I wanted. And yeah. uh, it takes a while for that to fucking fizzle out. You know, and, and in that some, as far as like making that transition and, and knowing, you know, because you can't really simulate it anywhere else in society or what you do. I mean, you just can't. Like that feeling of just, like you said, just, just walking out in the stadium and seeing, 70, 80,000 fans just hollering your name. And then you come out there and like you said, just the, the physical work of it, you know, the, the, you know, like you said, the mauling of guys and just competitive nature of things. You just, you, there's, there's nothing that I can compare that to, uh, at least for me. Like you, you can go and hit the weights as hard as you want to do, but you know, weights ain't gonna really hit you back like you want, you know, they're not. And so, you know, you can control that aspect of it. Uh, same thing, like I, I, I went into coaching. And so coaching gave me a little bit of the locker room bit of it, you know, the aspect and kind of like motivating, you know, the kids and whatnot. And then, you know, having former players that I, that, that, that coached with me brought that aspect of locker room, just a little bit of it back. But then it was, you know, when you was on high school and college, it was like, you would have maybe two or three hours and everybody go home. But like, 
in a facility in NFL, you're there all day. Yeah. So that's day. really like your home. Yeah. That's that's I mean, sure, you're you're there at your own home, maybe less than you are really at the facility. And you hang with the uh, and you hang with the guys at work more than you do your wife and your kids. A- absolutely. You know. So it, it was I know it's tough for guys, you know, to kind of deal with. And I think some of those things are like, you know, you having your conversation, you're talking about your, you know, the things that you had to deal with. You know, guys just communicating with one another about, you know, how hard it is, you know, to kind of do something to keep that going. Just that locker room aspect of just, you know, talking to one another. And I know there's there's things out here for guys to get into, different uh um, you know, programs or whatnot, but the the physical part of it is it's almost because here here's where it can become dangerous is when you see some guys, ex-guys get into like bars and stuff like that and something happens. And then all of a sudden we respond in a physical manner. And then you like, oh shit, while this guy's in trouble, we're like what's going on with him? He's doing like, well, hell, like you, you just took this guy out of, out of his element, right? Yeah. If you take if you take a, a, a lion out of the, the wild, then all of a sudden you put him in, 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 in a different environment. Do you expect him to be tamed all of a sudden? I mean, it, I mean, you know, he's king of the jungle. So part of what he's going to do is he's going to be that same way in the, in the in, in a different environment until he, he understands how, like, look, this environment is different. But this is who I was. This, this is who I was. This is who yeah. I was made out to be this whole entire time. And so when I'm sitting over running around all these, you know, little pieces of meat that I could just bat at all the time, but shit, that's what I'm going to do. So sometimes it becomes destructive in that manner for guys. And, and, and I think we just, you know, because like you said, somebody who was a pencil pusher, you know, these guys who, who never played a game, is making a decision about your life. And, and, and matter of fact, I'll tell you this. Uh, so when we went to the playoffs, me and Turley both, uh, we didn't find out that we weren't going to play the game, but we were going to be in the playoffs yeah. until we came in like that morning. And I remember I, I went up to uh, upstairs and I'm just like, listen, before y'all make a decision what y'all want to do with my life, how about y'all consult me first before y'all do it, right? Instead of this guy coming up to me, like one of the, the uh, reporters come and say, hey, Jason, what do you think about, you know, you being put on, on in IR uh, for the playoffs? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, shit. Like, you didn't know? And this is this is me coming um, in the elevator early in the morning because yeah. I was coming down to get treatment. Yeah, I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. So I go down and I get in, you know, talk to Dave and I'm, Dave's like, look, Jason, we, you know, that, that was a decision from up top. You know, Dave Price, uh, Dave Price passed away. I know it. Yeah, I know dr- it. Drug overdose. Yeah. Pills. What? Yeah, it was pills. Wow. That's what Turley told me. Because um, Tur- yeah, Tur- Turley's the one that told me. Yeah. Wow. Something like pill drug overdose deal. Yeah, so yeah, that's, and, that, and that's another thing too. Like that, that part of it is where you don't know guys. Cause I seen, it was a couple guys that I look back at and I found out they passed away. Oh, uh, I know dude. Uh, Fuck man. When yeah. I get that email every year at the end of the year from the NF, uh, from the players association of all the people we've lost. And yes. I'm like, I'm like looking yeah. at these names and I'm like, Oh shit. Like this dude, like what, you know? And it's like, yeah. ah, fuck dude. Yeah. Okay. So, so you go back down and so, you know, so I'll go back, yeah. And, and, and go back upstairs and I'm just like, man, look, look, wait a minute, what's going on? You know, y'all y'all are telling the, the press about what y'all gonna do with me. Y'all didn't just the courtesy phone call to let me know, to discuss, like, hey, look, Jason, we're thinking about putting you on IR. You know, this is, you know, and and let that discussion ensue. But don't let me find out through a guy that's in the media 
that I'm being put on IR. I mean, this is my livelihood. This, this is what I do for a living. And so now the disappointment, not me playing with my guys, okay, going to battle is so devastating to me. I mean, I was so angry. Uh, just the fact that, you know, I had this guy that come to me and tell me, you know, my fate, you know, as opposed to them up upstairs. I, I just think, you know, it, it has to be a little bit more consideration for guys, you know, the courtesy of it, uh, you know, because it, it's just, it's dignity. It's a lot of yeah. it, what it is, you know? And Man, so, dude, when, uh, when I got cut at the Patriots, so after, so they sent me out to get the physical and when the guy basically was like, you know, figured out what, what was up with my knee and I went back to the facility they fucking met me outside with a box. Damn. Didn't even let me go clean in. We got you. There was a, a little fucking GA, you know, little uh, fucking, you know, yeah. assistant dude, little white kid yeah. sitting out there with a box of my name written on it. Thank you. And uh, yeah. handed me and I walked over and said, you know, here you go, Mr. Wellborn. And handed me this box. And I was like, I went through and they, like, like the shorts, the T-shirt, you know, like you always grab a few things just so you have it. Yeah. Nothing was in there. And they just fucking basically, I'm like, okay, so I ain't got it. No, no, we'll, we'll mail you your pads and your stuff, and here's your box. And I remember, like, got in the car and drove back, and I was like, wow, the finality of this motherfucker. And, yeah. you know, flew home, and, you know, I got home, and I remember uh, I went to bed, and I, like, uh, you know, I always get up early and go train and, you know, do something. I kind of just laid there and, like, you know, till like, 9 o'clock, and I probably haven't laid in bed till 9 o'clock, like, unless I went to bed at 5 a.m., you know, we were in Miami or something. But, um, you know, laid there and was like, now what? Well, you know what? I'm fucking got to get up today and I got to go out and fucking make it happen. And, you know, there was, you know, go get knee surgery, go get it fixed, you know, figure out what your life is. And I think, um, I think what happens all too often, and this is something I, I you know, I, I think a lot about is like, what is your identity? And I also think like for current NFL players, like, and I know when you're when you're in the game, you don't want to hear this shit, you know, because it's almost like bad luck. Like you don't want to hear about people getting cut, people getting hurt, whatever. But right. like that identity of like, hey, man, like the band doesn't always play, you know, in uh, the movie Titanic, when the you know, when it was going down, those dudes were still playing and they went into the yeah. freezing water. That music yeah. stopped at some right. point, you know, unless you're Tom Brady or Tony Gonzalez, you know, 17 years, walk away when you want. And then now it's Terry, Tony, Tommy and, you know, whoever on, you know, on, uh, you know, the game. And, you know, right. now Tony yeah. traded in for a nice suit. I mean, shit, he had a neat, you know, that's fucking happens to one dude. Tom Brady, you know, he gets to fly away on his private jet with Giselle. I mean, shit. I mean, you know, to cheers, you know, yeah. from 99.9999% of the world, all of a sudden it ends with some weird kid meeting you outside. Like, uh, and I think because, you know, the, you know, type A reckless personalities, whoever, like you're not necessarily, like I, I never really thought it was going to end until it fucking ends. And then you realize, like, I figured, like, what are you going to plan for? What are you going to do this? No, you're just going to fucking go 100 miles an hour. When it ends, we'll figure something else out. Yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, the NFL has done an okay job with that. But, like, man, like, I don't know how you express the finality of this thing to current players so that it doesn't hit them. Or maybe you just never can. Recently, Andrew Luck experienced a similar season-ending injury like Jason, and then he expressed a – a identity crisis and then he came back and then faced another injury and retired preseason yeah. and faced that shellacking from the outside world but during that uh, press conference the finality he expressed he didn't know who he was and through that loss of season earlier in his career he was able to find out he was more than football well the um and the the hard thing is is that unless you've been in that like been in that crucible like i hear that and i fucking identify and you're like man 
But the problem is you have a whole bunch of fucking people like, and I always think about like, you know, well, you know, cause you played in Philly, like, you know, the 700 club, those fucking dudes sitting up there drinking beers, fucking screaming, you know, those, you yeah. know, the fans and the media, whatever, like shit on those people as quick as they can and be like these fucking prima donnas, this and this. And you're like, man, like this is uh, I like that piece of uh, the reality of callousness. Uh, like, you know, like when, um, I'll tell you, man, like there's, there's been some things that like, you know, caused me to go take a long drive and really think like one of them was, you know, junior passing away when I, you know, I mean, dude, I still remember going to throw up over that balcony and seeing him run and thinking, Jesus, this guy's a fucking savage. He's a warrior. He's the baddest dude on the planet. We went, you know, we drank all night. We drank every drink and like, I'm throwing up, can barely get to my room. He carried me in my room and this dude's out there running and then realizing he couldn't sleep. Like mm. the reason he was up running wasn't because he was a savage was he can't close his eyes without seeing the demons. And he's up there running, trying to exercise it out because he can't sleep. And mm-hmm. us mistaking this, um, you know, warrior, you know, all these things that attach to it, you know, you know, bad guy, you know, this guy's so tough and realizing like that was a dude hurting, but yet because yeah. we can put on this thick veneer and, mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, seeing that and like going through all these other guys that have, you know, since passed away and, you know, you know, fuck, I mean, we can go through a million of them. And uh, seeing that was like really interesting to me in that I became kind of focused on this idea of like not only intelligence, but like how do you effectively continue to challenge yourself in new ways so that I can continue to stay sharp? Like, you know, if we go in and do the same workout every day, you know, eventually you're going to have accommodation. And, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, what you did yesterday isn't going to work the same way it did two days before. And I, you know, I poured myself not only into strength conditioning, but you know, went back and reread all the stuff. I mean, dude, uh, you know, podcasts, writing, teaching, standing up and presenting all of these things have been about, and really selfishly for me, keeping my blade sharp. Uh, I am so, so scared of, uh, of doling my knife that, you know, Hey, um, you know, I get a chance to sit here and chop it up with one of my favorite people on the planet. And, you know, somebody I, you know, if, if I was in a dark moment, be one of the first people I'd reach out to. And one of my, you know, like it was crazy. I didn't saw you, see you in 10 years. And I like teared up like a little kid when I saw you. And uh, people are like, I'm like, dude, it's like chicken soup for the soul to see Jason. And like to show up and feel like, hey, man, uh, you know, we've succeeded. We've done well. Everything is fucking on point. And, uh, you know, we're going to push this thing into the next 20 years because I've had other people, other friends and other people that I worked with. And, you know, we've seen come on and I've run into them and been like, fuck, man, like this this is fucking sad. Like this is depressing. And, uh, you know, so it's always good. Like when I turn on the TV and I see Tony and, you know, he's still got the same demeanor and all that. And then it's still like that shit warms my heart to see the success. Like when I saw Strahan, I was like, dude, you're killing it. I'm so proud to have played against you and call you a friend and see all your success because, uh, I've grown to like revel in my friend's successes. Like I want to see my friends go out and kick ass. I want to see their best. I want to see what they do after the fact that, what you did in your 20s and maybe your 30s doesn't identify you for the next 40 years. Who are you going to be and how are you going to grow? And more importantly, how are you going to contribute into the next piece? And for right. me, that's been really just inspiring. It is. I, and, and I'll tell you what, you know, if, if we can get guys to kind of get on that same level and the same thought process, you know, as you, you know, to kind of help a man. And, and I know the NFL is trying to do a better job of helping those guys, you know, but sometimes when I look at some of the things, some of the programs they put up, you know, I'm not really here to, to bash the NFL because of, you know, everything that, you know, they do do for the players. 
uh, sometimes it's like, okay, well, we want to get you into the corporate realm, you know, realm of the world. I'm like, you know, is a guy ready to go and sit behind a desk? Is that really what he wants to do? Like, is that going to give him, uh, you know, the type of uh, uh, fulfillment that he's, he's looking for? And so, you know, uh, the, the, the coaching aspect came into me and, and, and I was always about kind of service anyway. You know, it was kind of finding like, so mine was like, you know, find out who you are. So mine was like, look, I love people. I love being around service. Would I you say that your uh, love language is acts of service? Say it again. Would you say your love language is acts of service? Have you read Absolutely. that book, The Five Love Languages? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Acts of service. I, I, no doubt about it. And so I'm reading this book. It's uh, Everybody Always. And it just talks about like, look, everybody that you that you can have and you just be around, just do for, right? And you just love everybody as much as you can and, and just kind of help out because, you know, people struggle, you know, all the time, you know, regardless of whatever realm that you're in or whatever. But, you know, your 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 kindness of, of going out to help others gives you fulfillment. And sometimes it's just not about them. It's, you know, sometimes it's, it's for your well-being as well. And so being able to do that, being in the position uh, that I can I can do those things. You know, if I wanted to travel, I could do those things. You know, my mom's older. So my thing was, well, yeah, you're the youngest of 11 kids, (laughs) youngest of 11, man. And and so I can, I can do the things. How old was your mom when she had you? Uh, 40, 40. Yeah. 41 years old. Yeah. And so that, that in itself, well, I'm I'm able being a youngest, so I can go travel and and take her to the doctor, do things for her, you know, sit with her and just enjoy her during, you know, her golden years uh, is such a blessing to me. You know, I, I just I just relish that so much. And then, of course, uh, you know, one of my sisters who was, uh, you know, she was going through some of her uh, cancer treatment, you know, even her to take her to treatment as well. And so those things, those little things, those relationships, all those different that you want to get into that you that you understand is is really what brings you to, you know, who you are and what you really enjoy, at least for me, that, you know, I'm, I'm just so thankful to be kind of be in this position. Where yeah, I got into coaching, but if I didn't want to do coaching this year, which I chose not to, you know, because of those things, I was like, you know what? Thank God I'm in this position. Thank God I was able to play football for a long time. That you know I'm I'm, I'm financially stable. That I could do these things for my family. And so I, I just now I'm, I'm kind of getting that aspect now of doing like the the podcast and stuff. So I'm, I'm, that journey that you took, I'm getting into that now. You know, somebody brought out to so like, hey Jason, why don't you do these things and, and get into it? Because I was really, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I was really kind of against it, averse to it, you know, because my kids, you know, it was on the social media stuff. And I, so I just kind of started my uh, Instagram account, you know, and, and Twitter and all those different things. Because I was just like, well, you could know what? Could you I'm, imagine if social media, uh, when we were. Yes, there's there's no way. It, it just. <laughs> dude, I, I hear these stories and I was like, dude, uh, uh, when it came to like, uh, I mean, man, like uh, uh, we we lived it right. We did it. And the crazy part is we didn't have to tell anybody about it, but like, I see this and I'm like, dude, like I was hearing these stories about these apps dating deal and like these guys going, I'm like, Oh my God. Like, uh, it's dude. I'm, I, I can't even imagine playing in the game with this wow. level of access with the fans and people and, you know, girls and, you know, whoever, like it, it just absolutely blows my mind. Like this is stuff we never like. I mean, I, I saw it at the end of our career. You know, say Facebook started in what oh seven, and I saw a little yeah. bit. I mean, but just the shenanigans and the things that went down. And I'm like, dude, like 
can you imagine all the situations we've been in where people just would be like, oh, let me pull out my phone and post this to social media. Oh, yeah, hey, uh, all these Chiefs players are down here or this. I mean, you know, Dang, like, oh, dangerous. My, dude. Dangerous. I, I just, yeah, I, I'm just saying, like, look, thank God it didn't, you know, it wasn't around <laughs> during that time. Let's put it that way. I, I would have, we would have never made it. We would have never made it. I'm just telling you that. So. Yeah, we, we would have had to move to south of France with a mustache or something, dude. <laughs> John Wellborne. Oh, uh, dude. I, uh, oh, man. Well, that, dude. I, um, it's funny. We, we started the podcast, what, seven years ago? It, it actually on Tuesday coming up next week is the, uh, 2013. So eight, eight years birthday. Wow. Eight year and, birthday. And, and so when, when the podcast, it was funny. We, I didn't even start the podcast. Actually, a couple guys started the podcast and, uh, I didn't even know we had a podcast and had to send them a cease and desist cause they were using my trademark. And then I figured out that it was us and I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. They didn't tell me. And, uh, I, at first I didn't really like it. Like, I was like, ah, you know, like I, I've always been kind of a private person. And I think like, like the feeling of having to share too much, like I'm real. And, and I know this is a weird word for it, but I'm kind of selfish with my family and my kids yeah. and my young ones. Like I'll send you pictures and like, you know, send you my little ones, but I'm not going to post them on social media. Like right, it just, right. uh, like that stuff's for me and I'm kind of selfish. And so when we started this deal, uh, I was kind of like, uh, and then we got into it and what I realized it was this amazing thing for me to connect with people in a way that I couldn't normally do. Like, for example, like we reached out to people and had like mentors and friends and some of the smartest people. Like when I look at the Rolodex and really like the alums of Power Athlete Radio, I'm like, fuck. Like, I think the only people that are better is probably like Joe Rogan. You know, when I look at like the amount of experts and just amazing humans we've had on and the relationships that have come out of it and like, you know, turn my eyes to people and just... Thing, like relationships that I didn't have when I was playing with people that I wish I had when I was playing like, um, yes. Derek yes. Woodski and, um, um, Adam uh, Nelson. yeah, um, Adam Nelson, you know, uh, Adam won a gold medal and a silver in, uh, you know, throwing shot and, uh, you know, Derek Woodski was a hammer thrower for Canada and I've since become good friends with these guys and, uh, them talking about their training and being like, if social media existed and I knew you guys were out there, I would have showed the fuck up and knocked on your door. Like I was right. like a Ronin. If somebody was doing something better, I would yeah. show up. And I guarantee uh, in those days, nobody was going to fucking beat me. And, uh, you know, the, the level which we trained and did things and um, like I'm sad for that. But what we got a chance here in this almost second thing, and I'm so stoked you have a podcast, is to be able to reach out to people that are, you know, in your you know sphere of influence and you're like oh hey i'm jason dunn ex-nfl player but we're not going to talk about that here's something that's something somebody's doing that's amazing like i got a do you do you remember the name Stu mcgill do you remember Stu mcgill was kind of like the back injury yeah, guy from canada yeah. yeah so yeah. like when somebody's back was hurt in the nfl and they couldn't fix it they're like oh we gotta bring in Stu mcgill and he was kind of like this like the yoda of back pain like we've had him on the podcast a couple times like uh you know i mean dude uh, uh fred hatfield and like all these individuals who i you know, have known, I mean, just some really fucking sharp people where I, I leave that podcast and I'm like, man, that, that elevated my game. This was my opportunity to have, and I, like, like you said, man, I was kind of a dork in a lot of ways, but, uh, I loved school. Um, I was forever the student and I still learn. And I look at opportunities like this, like me having a personal class, this is me and my master class, to be able to sit down and, um, you know, it's, you know, so there's that piece. And then there's opportunities to like, come on and sit here with you, which, you know, like will basically supercharge me for the next month. And, uh, you know, and to be able to have that energy and to, you know, to, you know, see what your friends are doing and reconnect with them. And then more importantly, 
share with a whole bunch of people, you know, yeah. and they're, they're, you know, and people will listen to this and be like, man, uh, like the genuine nature, you know, uh, of, you know, d- two friends who, you know, from different walks of this world, but yet, you know, got a chance to work and play together with a bunch of other great individuals and just got to share something really special that time will never take away from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, 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 I, I believe that man, it, that is truly special. It really is. And so like part of like the, the podcast world, you know, to me, where I, I would, I would listen to podcasts and I enjoy them, you know, tremendously, but I, I, I never see myself actually doing one, you know, cause I was just like, ah, you know, it's for, you know, those guys. Well, you whatever. are a good talker. I thought I was a good talker. You're a good talker. You should be. I mean, dude, I'm excited to listen to your podcast. Brother, I, I, so we, so I'll, I'll go ahead and plug it. It's, it's Chief's Concerns. So we've been doing it for like the past, uh, uh, I would say like nine weeks, nine to 10 weeks. It kind of started off, got Marcus Dash is one of the hosts with me, co-hosts, and Eric Warfield. So oh, me and Warfield nice. kind of go back and forth. Yeah. yeah. And we've had, we've had uh, Dick Vermeil on. We've had Eric Hicks. Uh, we got T. Rich on tonight. Uh, let's see, Patrick Sutain. So we've had, you know, ex-players just talking about the game, talking about our experiences, talking about life, uh, you know, kind of like life after football. Sure. You know, what we do, you know, talking about the Chiefs. And, and, and so I, I could see kind of, you know, that the growth of, you know, kind of what you guys are doing. And, 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 and look, I, you sitting back here and just comfortable. I, I'm looking at the whole, you know, everything, man. Y'all, y'all guys, man, y'all, y'all doing it right now. Y'all look good. So I'm trying to just put things up like little, well, we you know, here, just, you know, new thing up there. Uh, dude, when we started, man, so, <laughs> oh, yeah. so when we started the podcast, we were out in Newport Beach, uh, had an office, you know, uh, you know, office kind of industrial complex in Costa Mesa. And we, we used to do it from the office. And, like, for some reason, the trash truck would come by every day when we were doing these podcasts. We had, like, one mic. It was fucking awful. Like, anybody that goes back and listens to, like, our first 100 podcasts, like, yeah. I'm so embarrassed. Like, we didn't know how to answer questions. We didn't know how to share. Like, it was just, ugh. And, uh, and then when, you know, four years ago we moved to Austin, um, this is a, uh, you know, barn that's on my property. And this is the tack room that... You know, dude, we basically drywalled, cleaned up, you know, uh, you know, got a big thing cut. I welded and, fit and did all that and, you know, you know, found this, you know, bitching table and just kind of built this studio podcast room because we wanted a, you know, not only a neat place to do, but you got to have a space to, you know, spread your wings and, you know, feel like, hey, when you go in here and I put on the headphones and we sit in front of the mics, that this is our opportunity to be able to provide some really good content and, you know, like uh, and share, obviously, but like for me, I, like I'm almost more selfish with it in that like I get done with these things and I'm like, shit, man, like we got some great books to read. We got some great information. This one was really enlightening. And um, the, the one thing about uh, I think all too often with podcasts is people kind of get stuck like you're like, oh, we're going to you know talk about the Chiefs. But there's so much more into that. So then the ability to branch out and to be able to talk. I mean, even though we're a strength conditioning fitness podcast, the amount of people that we've had on that aren't related to fitness training or health that are just really amazing thought leaders uh, in terms of human performance has been just inspiring. Like constantly we've had people on where I'm like, how the fuck did we get these people? Like these are like some, uh, you know, New York times, bestselling authors. Well, I pester them with emails <laughs> as Jason <laughs> knows. There you go. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, dude, like, like a bloodhound and uh, you know, and then what's amazing is we get them on and we usually connect with them and they become allies and friends and, you know, supporters of power athlete and, and what we do. So it's been um, pretty, it's just been amazing in, in, in that medium. Uh, the one thing that 
I hate, and this is the the worst part in JD, you've been through this a million times. People have this preconceived notions about NFL players and especially football players. Yes. And they figure like, oh, I'm going to go on with these meatheads and it's going to be this kind of like, Ooh. and they come in and we can knock the rust off and the edges off them so quickly with, you know, humor and here and this. And it's like, dude, most of the guys that do this job are really smart guys. You can't be a dumbass and do this just for the amount of information that you have to be able to come in and take in. Now, some people are kind of crazy or one-dimensional, but nobody's stupid. And yeah. if you can channel and push that and, more importantly, expand it and, and share it, then I think people connect with it. Tell you what, man, and, and I'm all for that, man. I'm, I'm all for passing up information, more knowledge. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm an avid reader, you know, and, and, and I just love, you know, gaining more knowledge, more insight of other things and, and things I might not have known about. You know, because it's, it's always acquiring learning, right? You always want to learn, always continuously learn. And you just find out the things that you don't know, you know, just talking to different people. And then, you know, of course, opinions and whatnot that, that people can give. Uh, like, I, I really, really enjoy that. So, you know, my talking is like, hey, you know, like sitting here, like we're sitting over having a beer or something and, and just, you know, voicing certain things, what we love about life, life. And just like you said, if if it happens to be, you know, your realm of like, you know, sports science and, you know, uh, you know, training and stuff like that. Like, I, I love that stuff. To me, it's awesome. I remember I asked you, I said, man, how long have you been doing your podcast? You was like, you've been doing it for, I was like, what? Like, that long? <laughs> yeah. and, and the thing is, like, I've, I've been watching some of your stuff on YouTube, you know. So I'm just like, man, it's John stuff. Let me go check it out. Because, you know, of course, as a coach, I'm trying to get some more insight, you know, with, with you know, getting my athletes to where they need to be. Uh, and, and then, I, of course, I share other people and say, look, man, you got to go check this guy out. They used to play with him. Uh, and so it's just it's just wonderful content, man. Y'all do y'all do a, a tremendous job. And I just like I, I looked at, you know, some of the guys that y'all had on the show. I'm just like, damn, like y'all, <laughs> y'all been doing it, man, you know, for a long time in a great way. And it, it, and it is, John, it, it, it sometimes is like like kind of that. Hey, you know, I didn't know you was going to be articulate. I had no idea that you could even go speak and stuff like that. So it's kind of like a backhanded compliment. Like, well, what did you think I was going to be? Yeah. Like you realize guys had to go through college. Right. And, you know, guys have degrees and, you know, to retain information on a playbook. You know, you have to be somewhat intelligent and smart to do these things. I mean, it's just not, you know, you, you're not a meathead just going out there. You're not. Who was uh, uh, the guy off of uh, the nerds? Uh, Ogre. Ogre, you, Ogre. Asshole. you know, <laughs> John references the nerds. I love that one movie. Out of oh, five podcasts. Yeah, I, I that love right? that. When he's like, it's Ogre, you asshole. Like, right. I, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, uh, we're, we're not Ogre, you yeah. know. I mean, really. And so that that part of like, I, I want to say, I don't like using the word reinventing yourself, but that growth that yeah. that we all should do just in life uh, is, is something that you know we should all try to achieve and inspire to be so mine is kind of like i'm I'm, you know spiritual eleven. i'm I'm getting more you know in in the spirit of things and just knowing even more about you know just the economy of course all the things politics and all those different things that we kind of took for granted it's like oh shit wait a minute hold on let me look a bit a little bit more into this let's research a little bit more into this uh and so i think part of the thing now with, with the podcast is the reaching out yeah that's what i had to get into because I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be completely transparent here. I had an issue and a problem with maybe some of my connections because I was an NFL football player. Because I didn't want it to just be that, like, you know, the only reason we're reaching out to you because you are an NFL football player. Like, look, I, I want you to reach out to me because I'm a good guy. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be just 
this this dude that, that wants to learn a little bit more about things and life in itself. And maybe if that it happens to be the vehicle to get me in, fine. But don't just put me in that box of just being an NFL football player, right? Yeah, but uh, but but here's the thing: you're such a dynamic individual that even and I, dude, if people want to book me or, or or bring me on their podcast as I played in the NFL, let them. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to come in and I'm going to uh, do as well as I can and uh, end up hopefully, you know, leaving your audience with uh, with fans and people that follow us. I mean, you know, I've gone on podcasts where people have been like, damn, I found you because of this one. And, uh, you know, I know they brought you on because you're an NFL player, but you're so much more than that. And I think like. Uh, I don't necessarily care how I get to the party as long as I get invited to the party. Cause once I get there, I'm going to tear it up. And yeah. that's just the confidence in, in doing it. But we've also had hundreds of reps. And I think just like playing football, you know, like we talked about eight padded practices, like you play, like you play, but like, you know, and you remember dude, when you went out and played, like even in the beginning, you're like, fuck, I suck. And you got better. And I think if you can get enough reps and enough opportunities to get out there and do it, it becomes just very natural and it becomes good. And, yeah. you know, your ability to pull really cool information out of people comes. Um, the uh, the one thing that I really wanted to talk to you, too, about, and I'm, I'm you know, like we're running pretty good at two hours, which I, it feels like we've been talking for 10. But, so, a, so a short episode. Yeah, a short one. Like, okay, <laughs> so you got into coaching. Um, yeah. Like, uh, and, and I know when this whole, you know, like the Greg Floyd deal and all this craziness happened in this country, I reached out to you. And I think we were kind of going, you know, talking to them. And my biggest thing was because a lot of stuff was happening in your neck of the woods. I wanted to just make sure that you were fine. And, right, um, right. you know, and shit, man, you've known me. I treat people the same. doesn't matter what color creed. If you're a good person, you're a good person. And right. it was um, it, what was most interesting to me is like you trying to explain that narrative to those college kids that are like in that kind of fight or who are in that situation and I think the comment I made to you, man, is uh, I wish the world got to play and, you know, have an NFL locker room where you're, you know, you get to work with every race, color and creed. And it's not about, you know, who you are, what you're able to or, you know, like what your beliefs or your color, but more importantly, the quality of your character and what you can do working as a team. And, um, you know, in a time where it's so different, I wonder as you're in there working with college kids and young kids who are, you know, extremely impressionable, like how you guide them in that situation. Uh, you know what? Uh, I think the best way to do it is, is, is with truth, right? I think, I think we, we have to be truthful about some of the things that go on here in America. And so part of it was like, listen, it, look, everything that, that you see and maybe what you hear may not necessarily be true in itself. But let's get down to uh, talking about the things that are true and things that does, does play, you know, being here in the locker room, because we, we had we had a couple of guys on our team that, that actually uh, had some run-ins with, with police officers yeah. and got stopped. And it was just like, it, there was no other reason other than maybe saying like, hey, you know, do you have drugs on you? It was like no reason for being stopped other than like, hey, they come to us like, hey, Coach Dunn. And we had to go down and, and talk to the police. Like, listen, these kids are being harassed. Like, why are these guys being stopped? Like, they're coming in early in the morning. They're not coming from a robbery. They're coming in early in the morning for workouts. So why do you think when you see, you know, you know, two or three black kids in a car, young African-American males, that you're doing something? And so sometimes you got to get away from that stigma. So, you know, addressing those things and having deep, sincere conversations uh, is something that you have to have. And I think it has to start from a place of love. 
but also to this this part of like understanding and awareness. Like uh, I'm here in Kentucky, as everybody didn't know. So in Louisville, you know, the whole Breonna yeah. Taylor. Yep, yep. Well, that's my, why uh, when I reached out, because I knew this was epicenter yeah. for you. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my cousins is on the police force. And so his detail and aspect of it was, you know, we had a conversation. Like, look, man, like what's going on? What's, you know, what's what's the inside of what is being said over here? And of course, you know, he's like, look, Jason, he said, this is how, when I look at it, he said, every cop is not me. And you got to realize, like, you know, there are bad cops out here. And so someone, he, so he was one of those that was, uh, he, he would go in and, and de-escalate situations. He said, sometimes, man, you know, the reality is it has to be more training than that. And you got to realize, man, look, these, these guys want to go home to their, their, you know, their kids as well. And it's such a tough situation to be. I said, man, look, I understand. I can't even imagine being on the front lines as a cop having to deal with certain things. I mean, seriously. So you're being shot at every single day. You're going into maybe certain communities or dealing with people who have mental health issues, right? Which is just a whole different deal in itself, right? Because a lot of these things, he was telling me that probably 75 to 80% of the times he goes into these things, it's mental health issues that people don't understand that people are dealing with. So he said, man, he said, my year's on the force. And he just retired this past year. He said, I never, not, not once did I pull my gun out. He said, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to educate the guys here in the precinct, but also to educate people on the other side to understand like, look, you know what? Look, it's not everything. All cops are not bad. And we had to deal with society on a level where it is humane, right? It is about dignity. It is about respect with one another. And so we should, we should do it on the human level in itself, right? And so that was a lot of like the the... The hiccup is like when I'm talking to my guys, I'm like, look, if we if we go out here with dignity and respect, and we understand that you know we all made in the image of God, if we're doing the right thing, then there shouldn't be any issues and problems. And so some, sometimes about justice, justice needs to be heard. Like even if you see something that's wrong being done to anybody, and not just you, but I'm talking about anybody of any race, any great, whatever it is, then you ought to say something. I mean, we, we should do it anyway. So if, if you see a kid being accosted or somebody or a woman being accosted, you should be able to say something, not just in your situation, not just in your own home, but everywhere. But also, too, there's nothing wrong with holding people accountable. Uh, and and, and I, I'm, I'm a kind of a big uh, James Baldwin fan. James Baldwin says, you know, a lot of great quotes about just, you know, talking about the dignity. If if you worried about my, my family, but also, too, it rooted into my my dignity, my impress something like the impression, you know, my oppressiveness is is rooted in you not understanding that because of who you are and your privilege. Then that's the issue that I have on the problem. So we, I, I just I try to tell the guys that there's nothing wrong with calling things out. We got to have truthful conversations, real conversations. And sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes we skirt over those, those issues, those situations. And even, and John, I'll say this, even in guys that I had uh, play ball with in college, and even in the NFL, you could be with a guy and play with him, but don't necessarily mean that the guy agrees with everything that you do. And it's fine. You don't have to agree with everybody on certain things, but I think on a, on a basic level of dignity and respect, everybody should be able to agree upon, right? Like I should be able to care about your family as much as you should, you should care about mine. 
and that's the way it should be. Like I, I should never want your kids to get across or that something happened to them. And I'm like, I will protect them with my life. Like I hope you will protect my my, my family with your life, right? You know, because I love you. And I'm like, look, I love your kids. I love your wife. I love your family. You know, like, that's, look, because that guy right there is my friend, okay? And I love him. And I'm gonna make sure that everybody that he's around is is okay too. But we, get, we gotta make sure that, you know, we call bad behavior out. And sometimes we don't do that. We don't call bad behavior out the way that it should. You know, so because we get sometimes these subjective truths that mess everybody up. Because it's subjective. Well, here's my truth. And, you know, I'll use certain things to, to bring these out. And maybe uh, uh, sometimes the numbers, you know, they bring numbers up too. Well, that didn't always tell the whole story. Uh, case in point, I'll give you a football analogy. So me and uh, Sean Barber, we was kind of going back and forth. And Sean was like, Jason, you only had this certain, certain many passes, this and that. I was like, look, Sean, the numbers don't always tell the story, right? I'll tell <laughs> you what. You're such a shit talker, dude. Oh, man. Uh, you know, you, oh, man. Well, you couldn't guard me and stuff. So I, I told him, I said, well, look, when I got cut from Philly, I had two knee surgeries, okay? Played there for three and a half years, go to Kansas City, regulated just my more my game to being a blocker. Didn't catch a lot of balls. But the value that I brought to the team about who I was is what it, it was what it was. Nobody can dispute that. Yeah. But it don't have to necessarily be the numbers, right? It don't have to be. I don't have to catch 100 footballs to be valuable to my team. JD, so, there is no question that, um, and I know this is kind of, I don't know, maybe it's a tight end. But when it when the conversation about the best blocking tight end in the NFL comes up, if your name is not in it, like I, like that position doesn't do like. Like you were like a six offensive lineman. I mean, I knew, uh, you know, I knew Tony was going to go out there and give him hell just because, you know, he wants to go out, you know, do what he does. And I know that they were trying to do some misdirection. We're going to run at Tony. But shit, when I lied, I'm next to J.D., I knew we were going to come off the ball. If we were doing outside zone and we got to reach that dude. Oh, my God. We were going to fucking road grade people. And like, I, you know, uh, and they don't really use the position like that anymore. So it's kind of this. I don't know, man. Like, it's like, you know, when I see all them talking about these great tight ends and Gronk and it's always them running down the field. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not what make tight ends great. Like, if that's the case and just spread them out like they did Tony in Atlanta, they just fucking put them out there. They didn't put them on the line anymore. They just let them catch the ball, which is great, which he should do. But that tight end has to be the most dynamic because you got to be able to fucking line up and road grade a dude and you got to be able to run a fucking pass. And then you're also like, dude, I played opposite the dude who's probably the best to ever do this game. Yeah. And he's yeah. the one, that, and, and he still will say, yeah, I couldn't block as well as JD. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So so that's, and kind of going back to that point of, of, of just saying, you know, when, when you're doing the right thing. And sometimes when, when I when I'll go through, where sometimes I don't always tell the whole story, right? Because yeah. when you look at my numbers, I'm, I mean, it, come on, it's like, oh, shit, this guy could have been that good. Well, I played for 12 years. Yeah. Well, how, how, how was I able to stay in for 12 years then? But when they're good, if you're just looking at my numbers, right? Yeah. yeah. So well, well, you must have been shitty. You was no, no, no. Look, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> Let me tell you what the whole story is. Let me tell you the whole factors and things. Uh and, and just kind of going back to like the social, you know, social justice of things and how like like life in itself. Uh, you know, a lot of factors need to be considered. And I think sometimes when we talk, we got to get out of our own echo chamber, right? To to understand more people, real well rounded as far as who we are as human beings. And so, you know, there's things that's, that's there that we just we kind of just skim the surface of. We don't really get into the meat of things in the conversation to get a better understanding about who we are as people with each other and how we should be. Like when, when you look at 
the, the, the type of divisiveness that we're on right now, polarization, there's no reason the United States should be where we are right now. Just, just, just no way. It shouldn't be. Just for the simple fact, because, you know, somebody roots for their team over here, right? And I'm just so, just so over here and I'm just so over here. And I'm just like, look, we have more commonalities than we do, you know, opposing views on things. We really do. But we never really speak from that point of, you know, the commonality part of who we are. You know, we always talk, we start here first. Oh, we just, and we stay here. It's like, wait a minute, just, okay, how about we just, let's move over here. Let's talk about the things we agree on first, right? And then we'll move outside the box and talk about that. And these are things that we disagree upon, but we can still have a conversation, right? And so that, that's my thing when I, when I talk to these, the, the young people, because I don't think they understand the historical aspect of, of some of these things. You know, they, they don't quite go through the history of w- what these things really mean. And it's just like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just, okay, well, what are you doing it for? You know, what do these things mean to you? You know, do, do you know anything about, you know, uh, you know, the history of this country? And so when, when, when you're, you're kind of telling those, that, that those guys are just not informed as much. And so it's, I think it's about more information, right information. And so those things to me are very important to having the true conversation. I'm saying like, listen, I have a cousin who was a police officer who is not going to pull out his gun. I have a, a cousin who's a police officer who is not going to accost you. But we can't think every police officer is going to be this guy. And every police officer can't think that every black dude is a perp. And so when you have those conversations, I, I, I'm a true believer in police officers and communities coming together and speaking. You have to have that. You have to have those conversations. Matter of fact, when when this was happening, John, we, we did actually a, a forum and, you know, we were kind of talking, we had everybody in there. We had, you know, the mayors and, you know, some of the uh, uh, senators and things like that uh, uh, talking about this. We all in the same room. And it was it was great because people came up to the podium and were speaking, just kind of speaking their mind about certain things. And then everybody was able to kind of uh, uh, respond to it. It was like, look, if we want this thing to go forward in the right direction, we got to continue to keep having these forums. We have to. We can't just have like one forum that all of a sudden just disperse because then all of a sudden you're not really learning anything because I'm just going to go ahead and hold on to my view more so than I did the first time that I got into the forum, right? I'm just going to reinforce my position. Well, now when I'm sitting over and I'm talking to this guy, I'm like, but shoot, man, shoot, Tex is a great guy, you know? I don't know anything about Tex, but he, you know, he, shit, you know, he's a great guy sitting there talking to him. Like me and John, because we, we play together, I know who John is, right? Now, it's not saying that me and John will agree on every single thing, but I, I do know John's heart. I know who John is as a person. I know how he feels about particular things. And so having that relationship is something that everybody should be able to acquire, you know, during that time. And I think we just, we're talking past each other. And I, I say, you know, when we're doing that, we can never talk past each other, man. We got to have a full engaged conversation with people. Uh, so understand who we are as, as individuals. So that, that's, that's kind of my take. Uh, and it, it's not really like a one size fit all, but I'm always constantly working, right? I'm always working to get things better. You know, start seeing, you know, the goodness in people. Start saying like, look, you know what? Let's talk about some more things then, right? Let's, let's, let's keep having a good conversation. Let's get start getting to the meat of these things. And if we don't do that, then oh, I'm over here and I'm over here. And then guess what? You're, you're, you're always like that. And that's not, that's not a good place to be. Yeah. So. Amen. Dude, I think it's great, man. Hey, 
anywhere, anywhere in the world you need me, dude, I'm a phone call away, dude. I will be there for you. You know that, and I always have been. So, man, I thank you so much for coming on Power Athlete Radio. Um, Mr. Jason Dunn. John, man, I appreciate it, my brother, man. I, and the thing is, man, it, it speaks volumes about, man, who you are, you know, just reaching out during that time, too. Uh, man, like I said, man, I, you know, I just love you. And I, I, I always love seeing your face, man. I always just love hearing your voice, man. I just, you know, I love you. I love you. I just want to let you know that. You know, text, man. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make sure text and stay in contact with you, man. We oh, yeah. More of this, too, man. Be, be if, good. If you but. need any form of podcast guest, whether they're they're an author, whether they're a strength and conditioning coach, we got a lot of college coaches yes. in our Rolodex, and research scientists, anything related to human performance, mental, physical, we got a pretty good collection of yeah, friends. It's, it's impressive. So, well, dude, thank you, man. And, uh, dude. Uh, if, if people, yeah. we, we established yeah. chief concerns but what is your your new Instagram? What's your TikTok? How can all our, our <laughs> listeners get on you? Yeah, yeah. So so if I fucking see you doing TikToks and fucking dance moves, I'm gonna fucking fly out there. No, that that's Ooh, right? that touchdown dance. <laughs> He's, that, now, so that's what I have to do now. Now I've shown I've shown some videos of, of of some of my you know touchdowns and whatnot. I'm gonna I'm gonna show that one though, John. <laughs> Seriously, but uh, that, that for sure. So we, we can find Chief Concerns on Twitter, YouTube. We do a uh, Spotify, of course. Uh, but yeah, man, more content. And, and also too, like uh, I have uh, my uh, uh, father-in-law, uh, 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 Big Fitness. You know, he's, he's another guy that does fitness stuff and he's he's getting his stuff off too. And I'm trying to get him into doing more of like podcasts and Zoom calls on guys as well. And it's almost like older guys, we just so opposed to it. That's part of the problem. You know, I was just one of those old folks like, ah, you know, I don't want to do podcasts. Yeah. But yeah. But this is this is the thing, man. I, I love this platform. I do. I love it. It's therapeutic to me. And like you said, you know, it's just so 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 much knowledge given, but it's therapeutic as well. So I uh yeah, man, I, I look, I'm I'm just so gracious for you guys. You know, y'all y'all been killing it, man. You know, I'm so happy for you all and y'all success and you know, wonderful for the seven years, all right? Wonderful for the seven years. Thank you, thank you. But, uh, mm-hmm. All right. right. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, Power Out the Radio, for another episode of the Premier Podcast. It's very interesting. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find Jason Dunn on Instagram. Just look for his name at jdungeondog. Or look for his podcast, Chief Concerns. Googling that will take you to a number of places that you can listen to it. Until next time, bye!